Hey, Jub. How you doing, man? Hey, Gen. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. Hey, it's like 2020 now. Something like that. No, it is, though. Oh. It's not something like that. It's just a fact. You don't have to say some dumb shit. Okay. <laughs> Being all quirky over there. Ooh, something like that. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, I'm quitting. That's what I'm doing in 2020. <laughs> okay, anyway. Got we got a whole ass decade ahead of us. It's a whole ten fucking years. It's pretty stupid. Will I live through it? it? I don't know. Now, when you're thinking back on what happened in the 2010s, yeah, the tens as I call them, uh-huh. I don't think I call them that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you you know that you probably have an answer for your favorite movie, your favorite album, your favorite uh, you know video game, uh, your favorite uh, drink. Oh, okay, yeah. Your favorite cum. No, that's not my favorite uh, time that you hit a person with your car. I didn't know that didn't happen in the 2010s. No, all all of the basic things that you have a favorite for (laughs) of a decade. So I was going to ask you a prediction question. Yeah. And the prediction is what's your favorite film, album, or video game going to be of the 2020s? Ooh. And this is a stupid question, I admit, because there's no way to know that. But just give 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 me what are you feeling, man? Make a big brain prediction here. Whatever Weezer album comes out in 2029 will be the album of the decade. <laughs> will Will Rivers Cuomo still be alive yeah! in 2029? In nine years, yes, he'll isn't, be old, but he'll be alive. He, isn't he like 67 now? He is not that old. Isn't he like 60? 69. Isn't he like 700 now? He's like 1,620. Okay. So it won't be their most recent new album coming no, 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 out no. in It'll 2020. It'll be nine more albums because they've been putting out an album every fucking year. So. Uh, sometimes it's more than one, so yeah. we'll see. Uh, what about movie? What are you thinking? Movie? Yeah. Um, it won't be a Marvel movie. Your favorite of the, movie, the decade won't be a Marvel movie. For sure. Um, you know, that's probably a good prediction. I do have a lot of Marvel movies in my top 10, or my top 50, I should say, not 10. Uh, I don't have a single one in my top Of 10. this decade. No, I don't think I have one in my top 10 either. Well, no, I do. Well, it's one I Marvel do. movie. It's not an uh, MCU movie, though. But yeah, like it's hard to say that that, that, that will be the case in the following decade. We, we don't know where comic books are going to go. Comic book movies, sorry. Probably in the trash. I don't know about that. We've watched enough crap on this show to know that some trends don't necessarily die. They just evolve and turn into other things. Yeah. I feel like that's what's going to happen with comic book movies. Because okay. they've been kind of, you know, we just watched one from 1989 yeah. for this show. Substantially different. Than and it, it, is a, it has a way different vibe than they do now. But they were making them back then. It's just right. going to alter how they make them. Yeah. Okay. I, I see it. I think it's like a genre, like a Western. It's not going to go away. But maybe there will be less. Might be Quentin Tarantino's final film. Will be your favorite? Might be. Uh, I have a feeling that his final film will be really good. But I also have a feeling that he's full of shit when he says he's going to have a final film. I don't believe anything that man says. I did see he's talking about Kill Bill 3 again. And, like, I don't know, man. I don't trust you. One Probably too far gone for that one. Yeah, what, are you going to make the Brothers Vega now? Yeah. Liar. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope he still makes that Star Trek movie, because that'd be the funniest shit. Yeah, it would oh be. Oh, my God. Give me it. Yeah, Spock says, fuck! Oh! Uh, how about video game? What are you feeling? Oh, hold on a second. Okay. Video game will be... Hmm. I think about this one. It's going to be a FromSoft game, probably. 
maybe not Elden Ring, but maybe whatever they make after Bloodborne that. Bloodborne 2, when it eventually Bloodborne 2, I think it's going to end up being... FromSoft, for to look forward a little bit, mm-hmm. FromSoft has two of my f- ten favorite games of the decade already. Like, just last decade. That's fair. And they're on my top ten games of the year list. So my take on it is whatever the top <sighs> ten games... Of the 2020s, the 20s, the 20s too, right? Will be uh, there's going to be a lot of indie games in there because that has been on the rise. It's been a and you know there's trend. a lot of them that got to be high up there for this previous decade. Yeah, there's quite a few on now, my list. Actually, things like I mean now it's Microsoft, but like things like Minecraft. Now it's a big deal, but things like Fortnite, things like yeah. Undertale. These are not big studio things, but now they might be. They are. They are now. I think the game of the decade 2020 will be something that nobody sees coming. That'll be somewhat of an original idea from an indie developer like those kind of games. Yeah. That'll kind of change the course of where games go. Some kind of new idea. Um, but Put I have no that. clue what it could be. Put it to you this way. There is one, two, three, four. Uh, there's four indie games uh, out of the ten in the 2010s games of the decade for your list right that you made with uh i made with a bunch of my friends yeah yeah yeah. and people from my friends discord that i never met before that was fun maybe we should go into that on our show so i can disagree okay bye eventually we will but yeah fuck you best film best film in the 2020s i'm gonna tell you right now (coughs) go ahead boo a medea halloween three that's no where contest. she finally dies. Yeah, it's a very it's an Oscar worthy performance <laughs> from Tyler Perry. From Tyler Perry as Medea's Medea gasps after she snaps the Infinity Gauntlet and kills Thanos, and then utters her final words, which is like "Oh, my lord" or something like that, and then dies. And it's it's gonna it's gonna win all the Oscars in twenty twenty seven or whenever it comes out. Sweet, Jesus. it's gonna be great. My predictions. If, if it comes true, you are contractually obliged to give me two million dollars. Everyone who listens to this. Okay. Everybody. Yeah. Each. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm, I don't make the rules. That's just how it works. Oh, okay. You need to give me two million dollars. Put another cough drop because I'm sick. Did I make you sick with my takes right now? Mm-hmm. That's fair, I guess. <laughs> Show in 2020, we're out here gonna talk about dumb shit. That's gotta be hell to listen to. We've killed someone. I hope in you're not listening to this car because you might get into you might get into a fucking accident. Oh my god, someone's shooting at me! Jesus, what is this? <laughs> Everybody, welcome to the show. That's good. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the first episode of the Gen and Jub Show in another decade. I'm Jub. That's hey. him. I'm the Gen guy. I'm glad we're out of 2019. That sucked. Yeah, do you think 2020 will be better or yeah. no? 
Um, I hope so. We have to live through another election, and those are always pretty bad years. I remember 2016 was a bad year because of it. I mean, if so. Trump wins again, it'll probably be another bad year. Yeah, but like, even if Trump doesn't win, we still have to go through like Joe Biden ads. And, oh like, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fucking dumpster fire from hell, but we'll live through it. Live through 2019. Yeah, and we'll probably still watch, you know, terrible crap. Or sometimes good things. We watched Batman 89. It was fun. That was a good thing. Yeah, it was good. Uh, we'll talk about that later and continue our Batman series that will not end. Uh, it's but, really long. Too many movies. Right. But for now, we're going to do a little thing over the course of this month where we are going to talk about our favorite stuff of the decade. Whether it be movies, games, um, and other shit. Arsonists. Yeah. My favorite arsonist of the decade has to be... Car accidents. Australia. Oh, God. <laughs> Everybody, Australia is burning. Yeah, Can it's kind of fucked up. I don't nobody's know. talking about it yet. Australia was already a rough place to exist in, and now it's on fire. And now it's like 20% burnt. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not good. More than that now, probably. That's pretty, uh, you know. But global warming is a hoax. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important to know that this is only caused by the Earth being flat. And that's the real truth. Sweet Jesus. So. What are we going to talk about this week? We'll probably do this all throughout January. It's going to go through the entire course of January. But uh, for today, we're going to talk about our favorite stuff of 2019, coming fresh off of it. And then in the following weeks. So this week, we're going to do our favorite uh, movies, games, and albums of 2019. Of 2019. Our top tens, right. Yeah. And then... I think next week we do, like, video games. Yeah, next week we'll do our favorite games of the decade. We'll all talk about an extensive list I made with my friends, which is fun. That's cool. Um, the week after that, we're going to do albums. I'm and cool then with to that. end it out, we'll do movies. We should end it with movies, because that's the list that I probably put the most time and effort into, yeah. as far as I go. Like, you have a big video game list. I don't. You, I have a big album and movie list, and the movie list is more definitive in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I have a top ten movie list, but I don't have a... You should probably come up with a top ten games list uh, coming in the next week. I can do that. Decade. Of the decade? Yeah. I can do that Just top ten. Yeah. Of this year... I don't fucking know, dude. Crash <laughs> Team Racing, like number one. Games. Fuck you, it's Resident Evil 2. It is, yes. Honestly, it probably would still be Resident Evil 2, even if I played every game that come out this year, because, like, honestly... I'm such a huge Resident Evil stan that, like, I have no choice. Right. The decision was made for me before the game, the was, game even came out. The game was fucking incredible. Man. I mean, I, I'm willing to bet my favorite game of 2020 will be Resident Evil 3. I'm unless it sucks. Like, even if it's even I close doubt. to how Resident Evil 2 is, I'm unlike it. So. Right. I doubt it's going to suck, especially using the same engine and everything. They don't have to do a whole lot to make it work well. So what uh what came out this year in games that you liked? Uh, just in general, when we give us like some honorable mentions or something. Uh, sure, I can only do that. I think you have an actual list. I do have a top ten list. Okay. That I uh, I just had to fix up because I just played a game that I needed to insert. You know, I'll start out with <laughs> I'll just start out with a, a game that I think I need to play that I didn't play this year. Two Desert games. Bus. There's two games that came out this year that I should have played, I didn't play, and I still need to play. That Bubsy probably 3D. could end up being on this list. Glover? Um, Glover 2? Yeah, yeah. Okay. What are Glover these? Glover 2. I'm sorry. <laughs> the first one is Control. 
Yeah, um, something I I've need heard, to play that really fucking badly. Something I heard everybody talk about being one of the best games of this year, and I have not got around to playing it at all. The SCP Foundation, the game. Right. I, I need that in my life. That sounds fun. Yeah. It's uh, It looks incredible. It looks like it's right up my alley for the type of game it is. I need to play it. The other one is Devil May Cry 5. I like everything I've seen from that game. I, I wish I was more of a fan of Devil May Cry in general, because I feel like I would be. You would be. You just need to keep but playing But I am them. four games behind. So, right. Uh, well, five games behind. I haven't even beat one. They're not very long to beat. Are you you know, I own one, two, and three, and we'll eventually well, play the, them. The backlog just keeps piling up for you. I'll at least eventually play one and three. Maybe I'll just play a bit of two and go like, oh, I see why no one likes this one. All right, let's play three. <laughs> so I'll probably do that. Be careful with the one in the HD collection, because apparently it crashes a lot. Of two? Yeah. Well, I watched, uh... You know, if it crashes, I'll just not play it ever again. Right, leading up to the release of Devil May Cry, I like watching Maximilian Dude on Twitch a lot. And he did, like, a Devil May Cry retrospective thing before oh, that's, the release that's, of Devil May Cry cool. 5. And while he was playing 2 on the oh, PS4 no. HD collection, it crashed, like, multiple times. Oh, my God. And every time he would just stare into the mic without moving. Well, stare, start staring into the camera without moving. He'd stare, like, he'd stare into the camera without moving at all until it finished crashing. That's good. Is well, bad. we'll see. <laughs> you know, hey. Apparently that's the only one. Apparently one and three run fine. And two just crashes luck. It's a bad game. It was made bad, too. So, Awesome. Yeah. It's my favorite. But Devil May Cry 5 looks incredible and, like, probably one of the more perfect, perfectly done hack and slash games. Um, I'm, from what I've seen for everybody, it's in that upper echelon with, like, Bayonetta 2 and Nier Automata. And I need to play it. If they can figure out fighting games, Capcom is just back, dude. Yeah. Uh, they're back in every department except their fighting games. Well, they're behind the their, times in fighting their games. Their recent additions to Street Fighter V have been good yeah. and interesting. I'll give them that. But, but the game is already too far it, gone. It may be too little too late for Street Fighter V. They need to probably make Street Fighter VI. Or, it's or, coming. Or something different, like Street a Fighter versus VI. game. Like, hello? I'm going to tell you right now, I guarantee you Street Fighter VI comes out in 2021. You gotta assume it's probably soon. They're doing their... I'm gonna assume is their last season of DLC stuff right now. They just added a, their last major update, which uh, adds, like, some V-trigger adjustments and stuff like that. And then they're, they're adding a couple more characters, which it looks like it's gonna be all the boss characters in the Street Fighter games, which is cool. Okay. Because they've already done uh, they've already done two of them, so they're gonna probably just go through and do all of them. They did Gil from Third Strike, which is awesome. Yeah, that's it looks, crazy. It looks cool as fuck. They, they, had a, of, uh, they had a gill before they added, like, Makoto. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> and Q. Yeah. Well, they're, they're never going to add Q. They made G instead. Yeah, but, like, what, are they just going to go through the whole alphabet? What are you doing? Q the man. He's in a trench coat, and he a robot. G's the fucking president. Yeah, that's cool. I like the robot guy, though. <laughs> Me too. Mm. <coughs> but they're also adding Seth back into the game, but it's a girl now. Right. That's Street Fighter Four boss. That's crazy. I like it. I approve of it. I am. It's really interesting. <coughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I'm sick. Hey, it's all right. You know, 2020 is, well, you're allergic to it. Well, because we're in the stupid fucking northeast, the weather went from like, went up to 70 degrees, then crashing back down to 30. And my sinuses were like, oh, hell no. Again, a sign that global warming is fake. It got to 70 degrees. Reed. Yeah, dude. That's just normal for January. Duh. All I right. can't wait for it to be negative 
18 in April. Me too. It's going to be sick, dude. I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to start with this game's list now. Cool, dude. Do Coming it. in at number 10, and it would probably be higher, but I don't want to give it any of a higher spot because it's it's an, it's an expansion to a game. It's Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Uh, that's fair. I, I'm hearing that that's a great expansion. It added basically everything that I wanted and more to Monster Hunter. It's a... Uh, what this expansion adds is uh, what we used to call in the old games G-Rank. It's now called Master Rank in this game. And it is a way harder like and like more brutal set of objectives and monsters to kill. And a lot of them are like monsters. different versions of older monsters of the game or the same monsters, but just harder, have different tendencies. They have like different attacks and stuff like that, which is really cool. And it adds a bunch of really cool gear. They killed it this time with the gear. Almost all of the new gear is incredible. It all looks good. Which is kind of something that the original game had problems with. I didn't like the way a lot of the gear looked. And with almost every monster in this expansion, they nailed it. They also added a snow environment that's really neat. And a lot of new monsters to accommodate that. They are still updating this game, and they will never stop. They just added another new monster with a winter fest and all this other shit to do. The bunch of cosmetics you can unlock. It's really, really cool. Dang. <coughs> Monster Hunter continues to be one of my favorite games in this modern era of consoles. It is fucking incredible. And it deserves a spot, even though it's not a new game. It's an expansion. <coughs> oh, sweet God. <laughs> Number nine is Sekiro Shadow Dies, Shadows Die Twice. Um, this is a game I actually never finished. It hard... It's really hard, and it's also not exactly what I wanted from a FromSoft game, but I recognize how incredible it is. I'm in a weird spot with that game. It's getting a lot of Game of the Year attention it's from deservedly various outlets. So. The Game Awards gave it Game of the Year. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I I, th I I feel surprised by its placement in multiple publications because I felt like, you know, everybody was obsessed with it for, like, couple days, and then I think everybody was kind of like, well, it has this problem, this problem, and this problem. And it's not the best FromSoft game. So I'm kind of surprised with the attention it's getting late in the year. You could maybe blame the year, but I wouldn't necessarily. I still think there's a lot of good games that came out this year. Oh, yeah, there's too many. Um, one that you might not see in this top ten is Death Stranding. Which uh, is interesting, but it's also a game I, I did, definitely didn't play enough of. Yeah, if you played more of it, maybe. 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 I mean, I, I love it. I love that game. It's yeah. also really daunting, and I needed to take a break. That's fair. Like, I, I deleted it from my console for a bit. Oh, shit. Because okay. I, I didn't have room, and there's other stuff I wanted to play. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm kind of just waiting until I jump into these huge games. Eventually, I gotta start Red Dead 2. I'm resolving to do that at some point this year in Death Stranding. It's on the top ten, the top ten games of the decade list. Who would have guessed? Because it's like that good. Who would have guessed? One of the best games I've ever fucking played. I bet both Red Deads are on there. Uh, they're on there. Yeah, they're both on there. I think Red Dead One came out this decade. <laughs> it did. Like 2010 at the, at the front end of it. 2010 or 2011. Yeah, it was a 2010, I think. Uh, but yeah, Sekiro's really good, and I wish I liked it more because it would be higher up on this list. But I do really like it and appreciate it, and it's a really well-made game. Four out of ten. Like, eight. 
Okay. Uh, next is Apex Legends, number eight. Okay. Came out much earlier this year. It is, in my opinion, the best battle royale game uh, made by Respawn, who managed to nab two spots on this list this year. They oh, are spoiler. Ooh. They are one of the most talented developers out there. Full stop. Every every single thing they have produced has been nothing short of amazing. Um, Apex Legends takes the battle royale genre, turns it into a three v three team fighting hero shooter, and it works. It works too well. <coughs> yeah, you mix, you mix the things that makes like something like Overwatch really cool and compelling with all the different characters and like their abilities that you can get attached to and enjoy. With the really fast-paced and like well-designed gunplay of Titanfall, you just with a, in a battle royale game, you mash that shit together and you create perfection within that genre. Well, I hope that they continue to find success. I'm worried about the longevity Me too. of that game. Like I haven't played whether it exists or not. I too am concerned about the longevity of Apex Legends, uh, simply because the. It feels like the events that they've added for, like, the major holidays and stuff, while they're cool, they're not entirely compelling. Yeah. Um, they ha- they're going to have a lot of trouble keeping up with something like Fortnite. Whatever they were doing for Christmas, I could have not cared less about it. It was uh, fun. It was this little game mode where, you like, you, you took control of this train, and you had to, like, fight for control over it. It was really fun, but... I think part of the problem is Fortnite changes so often because they whip their workers until they make things. Right. Uh, that, um, Respawn's like, everybody has a five-day, 40-hour work week, and yeah, that's it. it's better, but yeah. maybe not for grabbing attention from, you know, the children that right. play the games. So... Oh, I have, like, little cousins I and hope stuff they that all love it out. Fortnite, and I'm like, I really like Apex, and they're like, that's gross. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> play that game with me. I want to play Fortnite. I, well, I, I appreciate Fortnite, but I don't... Like the gunplay, yeah, but like Fortnite has Ray in it from the Star Wars. Now it has lightsabers, which is cool as fuck. Yeah, but and stormtroopers, Apex ain't gonna get and that Batman kind of and Thanos, and he does the dance. Even though Respawn made a fucking Star Wars game, they aren't gonna be able to get a Star Wars crossover, which sucks. That's kind of dumb now that I think about it. But Fortnite's right. the bigger game, so yep, that's you what I went with. Even J.J. Abrams is in Fortnite now. Because Lucasfilm controls all the film stuff, so they also yeah. control the promotion, where EA controls all the game stuff. Yeah. It's dumb. But anyway, yeah, Apex Legends is an excellent shooter. If you, if at this point you haven't played it, give it a shot. What next? You might love it. Number seven is Katana Zero. Oh, yeah. If I played it about the summer of this year on my Switch... It is... I forgot that came out this year. Yeah. It was around the summertime. Um, at least that's when I played it. It might have came out sooner than that. The best way you get to describe that game is it's uh, kind of like Hotline Miami, except instead of top-down, it's a side-scroller. Mm-hmm. And the story of that game is just as fucking crazy, if not crazier, than Hotline Miami. Hotline Miami's pretty weird, so it's got, that's an achievement. Yeah. It's got excellent visual style, excellent music, the story of the game had me fucking, like... There's multiple occasions where I just grabbed my head and just went, like, what? <laughs> and it kept me going the whole way through. Um, the game will probably get a sequel from what I've been seeing, which I cannot wait. It is... Would be cool. One of the tightest playing 
like puzzle action platformers I've ever played. And nobody gave it enough attention. Go play it. Best I can say about that game without spoiling anything. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. From it's what really you talked cool, about that game, I, I wouldn't say It's a really cool time rewind mechanic, which is one of the big things about it. Yeah. That is very cool. It's got a VHS aesthetic. Good game. Yeah. The next, next one, number six, is The Outer Worlds. Not Wild Worlds. Yeah. To get that distinction right. get out it through there. your head. This is the Obsidian game. Yeah. Not the indie game. Uh, Obsidian said, hey, we want to make Fallout New Vegas, but we don't have the Fallout license. Let's let's do this one. Let's make Fallout New Vegas, but like space capitalism. And then they put it out. And then they pointed at Todd Howard and laughed. Yeah, because he's a fucking jackass and <laughs> can't make a good Fallout game. Nope. <laughs> and this is everything I wanted it to be. And Hell yeah. not much more, and that is fine. It is Dog space board. capitalist Fallout. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard a lot of the, <coughs> at least opening area of that game, has a lot of fucking harsh-ass satire about oh, yeah. corporate The culture. whole game does, dude. Yeah. Although the very first thing you experience about that in the game is, like, talking about how, like, they, they talk about how this one coworker committed suicide and that was damaged to company property. And it's like, holy fuck. Jesus they went in fuck. hard as shit into this game. That's a little yikes. That is the tone the whole way through. Where it's like, you're in a world that is so owned by corporations that they even own the people. And, Oof. yeah. And you have to exist within it and fight stuff within it. And it's very cool. The game has a lot of really cool looking planets and environments to traverse through. The side characters are all amazing. Really well written. The whole thing's written great. So Obsidian made what I think is one of the most consistently good of those Skyrim, the Elder Scrolls, and Fallout-esque open-world games. Probably the best one out of all of them. At least in like a modern, like a modern outlook. Its commentary is really good. Its gameplay is very solid. It has its bugs as those games do, but most of the time they're just funny. It's really well made. And uh, anybody who likes any kind of open world game should give it a shot. It's definitely one of my faves. Next, funny enough, is The Outer Wilds. <laughs> that's uh, that's funny. <laughs> the Outer Wilds is not a game that I've spent a lot of time with, but I didn't have to spend a lot of time to realize how good it was. I cannot talk too much about it without giving a lot of it away, but it is a big exploration game, and you find out so much cool shit about what's going on in the world you're participating in. And if and you spend a lot of time flying around on a ship, it is great. They, they do a really good job of making flying that ship feel real good. And I love it. Yeah, that game is uh, fucking incredible. Yeah. And I know you know more about it than I do. You played through more of it. It's cool shit, man. It's really, really cool. And it's it is worth your time. Please play that game. Just really weird that it, those two games came out in the same year. Also, uh, Noclip put out a uh, really cool documentary about the Outer Wilds. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw tweets about that. It's worth a watch. They, they talk about the whole Outer Worlds thing, too. That's really funny. funny. <laughs> they, apparently, they saw the trademark, and they were like, oh, God, I hope they don't release the same year we do. <laughs> and then they found, about, found out about it in that Game Awards reveal last year, and they're like, ah, oh, fuck. Hey, what can you do, man? <laughs> right. 
just one of those weird things. Number four is a game that I played very recently that I've fallen in love with. It's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. The other respawn game hey, that came Star out this year. Star Wars. The best way I can describe Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is it's Metroid Prime. But Star Wars with Dark Souls combat. Huh. It's dope. It's a weird combination of things. Yeah. And it's yeah. executed really well. Um, I have my problems with this game, but... It's glitchable. Part of it... Very glitchy. Part of it kind of comes into <laughs> the reason why I like it, though. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a very gamey game. It is... <laughs> it reminds right. me of the old Star Wars games I used to play and love back on the PC. Like Jedi Knight. In that... They have their fair share of their problems, but it kind of helps cater to the experience in a weird way. Sure. And the worlds that you get are really fun to explore. There's some really cool nuances within them. The Metroidvania elements that are in the game are great. It makes going back to these worlds and looking for new stuff when you got your, your new abilities satisfying. You okay. find a lot of really cool shit. If you saw the ads for this game, I'm sorry. Yeah, avoid that shit like the plague. There's a lot of spoilers it spoils in those ads. spoils two things that I wish I don't understand why. Me. It's, like, really dumb. And I avoided it all the way until we went to go see Uncut Gems. Yeah, they showed a preview during the... Right, and I know. never saw that ad before that point, and I got two major things spoiled for me that made me big sad because I wanted them to be a surprise. That shit blows. Especially the first one that was revealed in there. That shit blows. Because I didn't know that was in the game, and I was hoping it was in the game, and then it was, and I was super happy about it. The The customization in the game is really cool. You, uh, through playing the game, wow, you unlock all kinds of different skins and colors for your character, your ship, your droid BD-1, who's awesome. I'm so glad that shit's not fucking pre-order bonuses oh and garbage. There is garbage. one thing that's a pre-order bonus. It is the orange lightsaber color, which makes oh, me sad. okay, whatever. I mean, that's one of the weaker lightsaber colors, so I'm cool with it. I wasn't going to go with purple, but with uh, orange anyway, probably. What, what colors no, no, did that you orange have? orange is the one that was... No, I said I wasn't going to go with oh, orange, Oh, you probably. go with purple? Uh, maybe. I think purple's cool because it's a unique color. Just about every other, orange like, is too, but cool orange color. is like, whatever. Right. Just about every other cool color you could think of is in there. So, which is great. Um, the last one you unlock is the color that I want, which kind of sucks. But oh. can't do red. No, you can't. The only two colors you can't do are wow, red and black. Wow, dude! Just the, the Empire owns the color red, I guess. Yeah, that's bullshit. Just I think a color, all right. In the context of the game, I'm fine with it because it takes place right after Order sixty six happens. Yeah. So I'm cool with it just because. At least in like the, in my Star Wars headcanon, because the actual one doesn't matter to me. <laughs> oh, we'll get into that in a bit. The uh, it kind of I like I like my Star Wars headcanon kind of kind of because the way I just grew up while like consuming Star Wars media kind of pertains to the way that Jedi Knight goes. Yeah, where the Jedi learn to accept some elements of the dark side, and it makes them a better, stronger people. And that includes, like, being able to use the red lightsaber color and some dark force abilities and stuff like that. Okay. <coughs> sure. And so, like, yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, well, like, red's kind of a taboo color for lightsabers. 
within this community at this time. So it makes sense. It's funny to me that the good side has blue <coughs> as their primary color of choice, and then the bad side has red what? as their primary color of choice. I wonder why. Could there be any possible symbolism from noted Hollywood liberal okay. George Lucas That's in good. 1977? That's bad. I wonder. <laughs> what, a, what a what a hmm, what a thinker. He does, he does the big think. But that game's great. Um, that game is so unapologetically Metroid Prime that the map screen looks exactly like the map screen for Metroid Prime. Wow. It just puts it in your face. Like, yeah, this is Met this is Metroid Prime. Hey, fuck it, I guess. I don't know. So, is there, like, a lot of planets and you kind of just, like, go back to them later? Right, right now I have... I don't know exactly how many planets there are, but right now I have four planets. Okay. And I've, uh, I've gone back to... <coughs> All of them at least once, besides one. And I've gone back to three of them at least once. To do story stuff. They make you go back to planets and explore new areas. Okay. Um, I just... Uh, Kashyyyk is one of the planets. And hey. I just... Uh, it's Wookies. great. You hang out with some Wookiees. It's cool. Hell yeah. And uh, I just went back... I went to it for the second time just now and found this really fucking cool area. And I'm loving the hell out of it right now. Mm. It's really cool. I wish they had Jakku in the game. That yeah. way, like, you could go to Jakku, and then later the game makes you go back to Jakku, and you could go, We ain't going back to Jakku! Every time it happens. God damn it. That'd be fun. <laughs> no, don't let that game pass you by. If you like stuff with more methodical combat, if you like Metroid games, if you like Star Wars, you will like the game. Uh, it has enough difficulty tuning that I think players of any experience can enjoy it. I think you don't have to be good at Dark Souls to enjoy this game. It has an easy enough setting where you can kind of hack and slash the guys. That's how I'm going to play it. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Absolutely. If you don't want to experience like that kind of difficulty, just go for it and don't do it. Nobody should judge you for that. Okay. But I, I feel me? like everybody should enjoy that game. It's good. Yeah. Number three on my list is a game that came out way earlier this year on PSVR. Oh, Beat Saber. Oh, we're playing Beat Saber. We're playing, we're playing, we're playing Beat Saber. Now, it might have come out at the end of 2018, but I don't care. <laughs> oh, well, for PSVR, it came out in 2019. Is that your logic know. here? I think so. Well, I hope you're right, idiot. I also don't care. <laughs> it is one of the best rhythm games I've ever played. The definitive, in my opinion, the definitive VR experience. The game concept is simple. You have a lightsaber in each of your hands. Blocks are coming at you to the beat of a song. Hit them. Hit them. But if it says up, go hit up, right. down, left, the right, duck under shit, right. listen to the crab song. Right. That's the key ingredients. That's key ingredients to the game. It is a blast to play. I have so much fun playing it. I, I just got a PSVR a couple months ago, as I've said on this podcast, and that is the game that I play every day. You've definitely been playing that more than any other game. Yeah, it's my favorite one. In recent months, for sure. I thought Super Hot VR would be my favorite one, but no. Beat Saber beats it out by a mile. We're playing a Beat Saber. Yeah, so about that. What? The game has an OST. Yeah. And I understand why, because it's an indie game. It was an indie game when it first came out before it became such a ridiculous trend. So they kind of had to do their own songs to make it work. So they We're playing a Beat Saber. Now, they're not that good. We're playing a Beat Saber. <laughs> Some of them have good beats that are uh, fun to play. 
some of them have good beats that are fun to play. They're, the songs are trash. The songs are trash. They're trash. We're playing a Beat Saber. But it doesn't stop me at all. Yeah. I love it very much. It's just one of my favorite games. Well, you know why you're able to to ignore that? Hmm. It's because we're go playing ahead. Beat yeah, Saber. There you go. I was waiting for it. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I don't know. That's like my favorite stupid song in that game. But yeah, if you get a PSVR and you don't get Beat Saber, there's something wrong with you. Go get it if you have a PSVR. Plain and simple. What are next? Number two is Untitled Goose Game. Holy shit, that's, that's right. high. Yep. I fucking adore this game. It's one of the most charming games I've ever played. I started playing it. I'm yeah. two levels in. I'm at the, the, the backyards kind of level. Um, I'm not entirely sure what to do. I gotta get back into it. Maybe I will today. That game's great. It is so It's very fun. charming and stupid. Mm-hmm. And you are a goose, and you give them the honk. You cause trouble. Yeah, And that is sure the whole do. point of the game. And that is all you do through the entire game. It's great. That goose is a psychopath. <coughs> Untitled Goose Game caused kind of a cultural wave when it first released, where everybody was on the Twitter doing the Goose Game memes. Yeah, it's crazy. And that, that helped add to the experience, I think. And I think it's part of why it's one of my favorite games this year. The music, the, the way the music pertains to the gameplay is fantastic. The music swells as you run around as the goose, and then it calms down as you just walk. Yeah. The honk is great. It does so many things for you, utility-wise, and it also sounds really funny, and it's fun to run around and just honk. The sound design in that game is incredible, it's actually. It's impeccable. Yeah. It's one of the coolest design games as far as sound goes that I've ever seen. And I really love the art style. It's really charming. It's so simplistic. Yep. Everything about that game just bleeds charm and personality, and... I want to see more games like that all the time. I want to see more from that studio, too. Yeah, absolutely. House they, House... Uh, they did a great job. Hope that they make another game that is like either a goose game or something else. And they'll do something else. In that else. same vein. But I'm very excited about it. So I like the art style enough and I like the concept enough that they could probably do something else with it too. I'll be okay with that. Maybe not a goose game, but maybe like a something else game. Maybe. You know. It's dope. Yeah. Play that, please. So what's number one? Number one. You can't guess by now. It's Resident Evil 2. Hey! <laughs> I agree. That is... It's been a long time, actually, since I've gotten a video game and loved it so much that I beat it, like, eight times. Yeah. And that is what I did with Resident Evil 2. If you didn't think Resident Evil 7 made Resident Evil good again, this is your answer. This is undoubtedly one of the best games that that team has ever made. Yeah. Um, taking what Resident Evil 2 had already going for it, which is already, I think, even still a great game, and then just supercharging it into the modern era with everything feeling, sounding, and looking incredible. It's impeccably designed. It feels good to play every step of the way. It scared the fuck out of me multiple times. Which oh, I didn't, didn't yeah. think was a thing that Resident Evil could still do. There's a couple moments in Resident Evil 7 that kind of spooked me, but that game is that game's charm is more in its camp than in anything else. Sure. This honestly takes itself more seriously. Way more seriously. But there's still moments that are stupid. Well, it's all Resident Evil games. Leon that's part of it. Exploding the giant alligator. <coughs> Great. Yeah. 
Great moment. It's fine. Uh, it finally does something that I think Resident Evil needed to do years ago, which is like, all right, so Resident Evil 4 happened, right? Yeah. Now all of a sudden they have to be like this. And that's fine, but they should have thought about it more like this game thought about it yeah. than like their initial take on it, which was to make 5 and 6. Right. Which were the wrong direction to go. This is the right direction to go. And I hope they stick with it for some time to come. I think they will. Because they should. Because they made them a shit ton of money. It, it retains that Resident Evil 4 action-y feel while still retaining the feel of that initial trilogy, mm-hmm. which is kind of fascinating which if they're able to pull it off. makes me feel like it's the perfect Resident Evil game. In my opinion, the best Resident Evil game. It's certainly up there. I, I think definitely think 4 is better because I'm that person that thinks 4 is the best game of I all time. I think in so. the modern... I think in a modern context, Resident Evil 2 is just kind of a better game in every way because it takes what 4 did and just kind of makes it better. I am biased. So don't ask me. Yeah, I love Resident Evil 4. I adore that game, in fact. Yeah. It's one of my favorite games of all time. But it this game does... It takes all of the ideas from that game, takes all of the ideas from Resident Evil 2, and smashes them together perfectly. And within that, you have, like, one of the best survival horror games, if not the best survival horror game of all time. Yeah, it's certainly up there. Fuck those shit demons in the sewers, Oh, my though. God, dude. Jesus Christ. They are a pain in the ass, and I'm glad they are. Fuck. They need one kind of enemy in that game. That's a, that's an absolute pain in the ass. Even though you can't kill the There's fucking zombies. There's a couple. Zombies. It's great. Those plant fuckers too. Oh yeah. I mean, once you figure it out, they're you not lay that them bad. On fire. But like they, they they could be an issue. I think the uh, oh, and of course, fucking forever alone fedora man following you through the halls is a huge problem. Mister X is so well done in this game. Yeah. The sound design where you fucking hear him coming and you're like, oh god, oh fuck. He adds so much tension to that, the second half of the police station chapters in that game. It makes it so you're, like, in an all-out blitz. And until you, like, get into, like, later playthroughs where you learn how to deal with them better, you were just terrified and you were running. Yeah. And that's great. But it then also feels amazing coming back and, like, you're, like, you're, if you play, like, you play Leon A first and you come back way later to Leon B. And you're like, fuck you, Mr. X. And you just shoot him in the head and he falls down and you just walk past him. Like, ah, hey, fuck you, dick. <laughs> and sure. It's great. And, and that's another key aspect for why that ge- I love that game so much. Replayability in a single-player game is kind of insane to me in the modern era. Yeah, it hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, uh, I love that that is how this game is. I, I mean, God, I beat it so many damn times. And, and the B scenarios are a cool idea. And I like that the scenarios are more fleshed out amongst the characters now. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of always the case. Like, Leon and Claire's stories are... More different than, say, Chris and Jill's in Resident Evil 1. Right. But, be that as it may, they made them decidedly different here, where they're almost entirely different experiences that maybe don't canonically work together either. No. Because, I don't know, <laughs> fuck it, I, I guess Annette Birkin dies like three times, but who cares? <laughs> right. <laughs> don't have to make complete sense. I just have a few story issues with that game, but by and large, it's far superior to anything that Resident Evil's ever attempted to do as far as a story goes. Yeah. Like, this and Seven have, have nailed that pretty well. Yeah, yeah, No, Capcom uh, is ushering into the new Somewhat believable age. dialogue is, is key. Come a long way since Steve Burnside. I'll tell you that. Yeah. When did Marvel's Capcom Infinite come out? Resident Evil 7 came out before that, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah, because it's like later in the year. Yeah, I remember that. we complained that they didn't have 
Jack Baker in it because that would have been fucking amazing. Right. And stupid. Hits so, you with a car for his special. Since Resident Evil 7 came out, with the exception of Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which was... Capcom's been good. Right. With that exception, yes. And I think those those two games are probably de- being developed around the same time. So I think when Capcom noticed the success they had from Resident Evil 7 and Monster Hunter World, mm-hmm. they kind of know the direction they need to go in now. And I think this is going to usher us into a new era of excellent Capcom. Yeah. And I'm very excited for that. We're living it now. Yeah. I hope that they uh, oh, yeah, between, pull it off successfully. Between both the amazing Resident Evil games that came out, Devil May Cry 5, Monster Hunter World, and its expansion, like they are killing it. They're looking to revive long dormant franchises now that Resident Evil and Devil May Cry have had such <laughs> successful entries that you can't ignore the power of that shit now. Yeah. So, uh... We'll see what happens. Let's, let's get Okami. I'm excited for the let's future of Capcom. Let's get Okami. Okami 2? Let's get Okami. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. Let's get Dino Crisis. Why I, not? Dude, I would love a new Dino Crisis well, the, the possibilities are endless, but I think they need to make a proper Capcom versus game. Yeah. You don't need Marvel. No. Fuck Dude, him. you know what would make me literally come? <laughs> what? New Capcom versus SNK. Would literally make me come. Uh, that would be really cool with modern sensibilities. Really Even if you just let SNK develop it and they do it in like the modern King of Fighters style, which yeah, has been yeah. awesome since King of Fighters 13. King of Fighters 13 is amazing. And if they made it like that, but then like they had Capcom characters in it too, I'd come. Be cool. I'd want that so bad. I mean, like, considering we're probably never going to get Tekken versus Street Fighter <laughs> and all that kind of shit. It's kind of no. by the wayside. And Street Fighter vs. Tekken sucked. Really didn't bad. suck. It just, like, wasn't what we thought it would be. You could play as Pac-Man. Well, yeah, because, well, <laughs> Man and Amco was like, when you, like, instead of doing Tekken cross Street Fighter, they were just like, why don't we just put Negan in our game? Uh, <laughs> he just did that instead. How weird. I love it. Tekken crazy. Tekken nuts, and it's great. Yeah. But that's my top ten games of the decade. Not decade, right. I mean year. Right. Not a decade. Well, we'll talk about that soon. Next, next week. week. Next week, next week. Yeah. Next week. Love it. So, uh, I think it's time to uh, talk about something that we would have talked about <coughs> last week if we had an episode. Yep. Go ahead. It's Star Wars time. The movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to ask what you thought of it, but and you not just even, said it. Not even, yeah. like, in a way that, like... I'm not mad about it sucking. Uh, I'm sad. I'm I'm mostly sad, I guess, but... I wanted this movie to be good really badly. Since the movie came out, we we have the benefit of time now. So our initial hot takes are left on opening day. And we've had a little bit of time to process. Yeah. Uh, I hate the movie more with each passing moment. Same. Um, I've seen it twice. Uh, that was unfortunate. I'll never see it again. It doesn't get better a second time, so I don't blame you. Now, granted, I've seen all Star Wars movies multiple times. Yeah. And, like, to be honest, even the shittiest ones, I will still watch again. I would probably watch Episode Nine again. I know I won't like it, but there are things in it I do like. Yeah, There's just few and far between. But this isn't, like, a disaster on the level of the prequels, because... There is some good dialogue, and there's some good acting, and there's incredible visual flair in this movie. Yeah. And with recent things that are coming out that are, you know, 
granted rumors. I don't know if I can necessarily blame J.J. Abrams for how this turned out. It's probably still would have been somewhat stupid, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes shit that are, there's a lot of rumors, and uh, don't be surprised if you continue to see release the Abrams cut on Twitter, because I guess that's just going to happen now. Oh, just when there's a bad movie, you just that has to release the director's cut and think it'll make it all better? Yeah. That's not how it works. No, it's not. <laughs> But but I will say this, uh, as far as the uh, you know the Snyder cut meme goes, there isn't a Snyder cut. Nope. There totally isn't. It's There's a like print. a work print, and that is not a completed film. There is a J.J. Abrams cut that is a completed film. Oh, I didn't know this. Allegedly speaking, which is like three hours long, has a lot of scenes that were cut by Disney. <laughs> Including scenes with Rose, which is one of the you know key, big, stupid things people no, are talking Disney about. Disney cut the Rose scenes. Uh, allegedly. Now... I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know how factual this information is, but uh, one of the biggest things that I read about uh, on this uh, Reddit post that came out, I think today... It did. Uh, I saw that it was posted. I didn't read it. It kind of blew my mind a bit, and it is incredible to me that they didn't do this. And I don't know why they didn't do this. And I don't know if it leads me to not think it's credible or think it is credible. But apparently Samuel L. Jackson, Ellen McGregor, and a couple other people were on set in costume to be force ghosts for the end of that movie. And then they cut them and just had them be voices. Oh, that's dumb. I would have liked that. And I think... The Post claimed that a lot of this reason was possibly to avoid some Chinese upset because China don't like ghosts. Now, there are force ghosts in the movie, but uh, I don't know how they got around those other ones, but maybe it was like too many ghosts for China. I don't know. Hopefully we could find more information about this. I'm sure we will because much like other films that have had disastrous outcomes like Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon's Justice League. People will work over this movie with a fine tooth comb and try to get every single detail they possibly can out of it in terms of like finding out what happened. I I think it's pretty obvious what happened though. What happened was a studio reacted really, really badly (laughs) to a movie that happened before it. Well, two movies that happened before it, really. Because, obviously, you're talking about Last Jedi, but you're also talking about Solo, which underperformed. Right. So, those things happened, and then Disney decided to really swerve. And, whereas they gave Ryan Johnson perhaps too much creative oversight, in retrospect, it sounds like they gave J.J. Abrams like none on this movie, and made a mess. You have to have a good balance if you're trying to craft this shit. The plan for this fucking trilogy was pretty terrible in retrospect. Because there wasn't one. Yep. That's the thing, there wasn't a plan. And uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of people are echoing similar sentiments, but I wanted to bring up something, an issue I have with the movie... Uh, by the way, we're already into spoilers. I don't care. You could tag it if you want. I actually don't care if we do. 
I, I think everybody who wanted to see this movie has seen this movie. Man, even John Boyega spoiling it on Twitter <laughs> and saying all kinds of other crazy shit. The actors are in pure, like, Game of Thrones season 8 interview <laughs> energy right now. Yeah. They just don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, you got Oscar Isaac going like, uh, the Disney overlords wouldn't let me be gay. Uh, you got... Adam Driver just dipping entirely from any interviews whatsoever. He's not part of that fucking press tour. Yep. He's nowhere. I wonder why. Maybe it's because he doesn't like the finished product. He was certainly doing press for the f- other two movies. <laughs> but I wanted to approach this from a, a unique, stupid Genhart angle. Okay. Uh, I thought of this today. And I think my key problem with this trilogy lies solely in what its message of, uh, you know, Star Wars is a franchise for children. Make no mistake. Uh, There are elements of it that aren't for children. uh, And there are elements of it designed to appeal not to children, but to old neckbeard children like me. (laughs) Yeah. Specifically designed to do that. Uh but in terms of making a big budget blockbuster movie, what are you trying to say the hero's purpose is in the story? Is, I think, something they should have considered more. Absolutely. I'm going to compare this movie, and I guess the other two, because it's hard to talk about them as one single unit. Yeah. Uh and its main character, and compare it to something else that I saw some of today. Again, it's a movie I've seen several, several, several times. Uh, and it's one that will probably surprise you, <laughs> and you're probably going to say, Genhart, shut up, you idiot, but give me a chance to okay. explain my logic and show my work. Kung Fu Panda is a 2008 film Jesus fucking Christ. starring Jack Black as, ah. as the Kung Fu Panda Poe. Now, our heroes, we're going to compare our heroes in these two things, okay. okay? And what their role is in what their message is to kids. Or to anyone, really. Ray kind of, you know, has a crap life that is unfulfilling for her. She has dreams of being a Jedi and would love to do that. And then she finally gets an opportunity to do that, but it doesn't necessarily come in the way that she would have liked. And her teacher is someone that not maybe doesn't necessarily want to teach her, <coughs> and that's kind of heartbreaking for her. Yeah. But eventually they work through that, and the teacher gets over it, and teaches her anyway. And then she finally becomes the Jedi person. And then we get to episode nine, and it's like, oops, she's actually Palpatine Jr. Jr., and that's why she has powers and shit. Okay, so Kung Fu Panda is literally the same thing until the end part. Uh, okay. It is, though. Yeah. Poe is a panda. <laughs> Who works in in a noodle shop? Yep. And it's an unfulfilling existence. He would rather be a kung fu master man. Uh, he idolizes the the Furious Five. You know, Angelina Jolie, Lion, 
just the Seth Rogen cricket. The David Cross crane. Well, I'm just gonna. I don't know. I'm not gonna name them all. Jesus Christ. The Jackie Chan monkey. It's important that you know. <laughs> and he, uh, you know, that movie, he is named the Dragon Warrior, which is supposed to be like this super kung fu master, the best of them all. And the teacher feels like he doesn't deserve this and refuses to teach him. But eventually, the teacher decides to do so and gets over his himself. And the dragon warrior becomes like Poe and he saves the day. It's literally the same thing. And maybe it's just a generic hero journey kind of thing. But the thing that put it over the tipping point for me and in thinking about this, and now I can't separate them from my brain, is literally the villain in both movies is the same thing. A former student of a master who went evil. And they have to, like, reconcile their own role, the master, in creating this villain. That's in both movies. It's Kylo Ren and uh, the Tiger Man from <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> now, we don't we don't get a kiss between Poe and the Tiger Man in Kung Fu Panda like we do in in Rise of Skywalker, but the comparison is still there in bare bones terms. Now here's where they differ entirely forever and forever. Initially, and when we watch The Last Jedi, Rey's character is someone who has no origin. Uh, she gets all of this power from absolutely nothing. She seeks answers about her past and receives none. And that, to me, was incredibly fascinating because it's set up to be such a mystery. Who are her parents? But the mystery isn't even the interesting part in whatsoever. You should be more interested in the character's journey and progression. And I think it's interesting to say that anyone can be a Jedi and anyone can use the Force because that's a metaphor for anyone can be a hero. Yes. Uh, it doesn't matter if, like, you had important parents or not. But then they decided, okay, I guess it does matter because they caved into fan questions and fan disappointments yeah. with Episode Nine. And decided, no, Rey has to come from a lineage. Rey is a Palpatine. That's why she has all of the powers ever. I think that's a boring cop-out answer, and one which Kung Fu Panda doesn't use whatsoever. Jack Black plays a fucking fat, idiot panda who also just happens to end up being the hero of the movie because he just applies himself. Right. And it makes the message, particularly for kids, of anyone can be a hero, incredibly clear. And it works phenomenally well in that movie. I feel like that movie's incredibly underrated. You can ignore the sequels, and you can ignore most other DreamWorks movies for sure. But that movie has an interesting art style and an interesting classical hero's journey character development. It just has 
Jack Black being a big fat panda in it too. But this is my comparison. When you're making a movie that is trying to appeal to all ages, why would you make it so that the lead character has to have an important lineage in order to be important? They even go further with this by implying that Finn is Force-sensitive, too. Yeah. So he wouldn't be important if he wasn't. (coughs) And, like, all of these characters... Like, every Star Wars character has to have a grand lineage. Skywalkers, Palpatines, Solos. And it really doesn't let it stand on its own in any way. Right, and that's... I think that's my biggest problem with it. That's the most unfortunate thing. The My favorite thing about The Last Jedi was that reveal that Rey didn't have any parents. Because I love the idea yeah. that, like, if you just, like, learn to attune yourself to the Force, you can be a Force user. The, the way I've always seen it is that the Force is something that... It's an energy in the world. Yeah. It's yeah. like Kung Fu. Right. Okay. Yeah, sure. They're very similar. It's like in these any aspects. art. Yeah, sure. And then you, if you learn it's to apply it, it is unattainable. But it literally should not be. Yeah. You should just be able to learn it. Right. If you apply yourself and believe. Yeah, that whole thing is, with the with the broom boy at the end of the last Jedi. Yes. Like, it was my that was my favorite scene in the entire literally fucking movie. Comes from nothing. Right. And I think that works a lot better. Spur the anim- the like imaginations of kids. Yeah. I would say. And I feel like this movie really drops the ball and trips over its own feet over details. And even then they fuck up because they don't flesh out the details. Right. But it's only concerned with lore and not feelings and emotions. And I think that's pretty key. Especially if you're making something as basic as a Star Wars movie yeah, in I terms think- of plot. Right. You don't need to have a complicated plot. None of them have had one, except for the poopy bad ones like Phantom Menace. Right. (laughs) These These grand fucking fantasy movies do themselves a favor by being light on the plot. The things that made the original trilogy so good were the emotions and the performances and how cool the world was. And they just had to keep doing that. Yeah. And they haven't with either of these trilogies. They just course correct in the wrong direction, and that's a hard. This movie was a hard course correct in the wrong direction, where the only thing they were concerned about was cleaning up the perceived mess from Ryan Johnson, which I don't even believe was a mess. You could work through that material perfectly fine. I like to think back to, uh, you know, if you look up stuff from when Empire came out, yeah, and how a lot of people's reaction to Empire Strikes Back wasn't what it is now, necessarily. Right. A lot of critics liked it. But there was kind of a split fandom on it. Uh, Because a lot of people viewed some of the twists and some of the things that happened to be ruining the previous film. Like Vader being Luke's dad. If Twitter and Reddit existed back then, I wonder if Return of the Jedi would have worked at all. Because instead of ignoring all those things that people might not have liked... They went hard on them. They embraced them and went hard in the paint on them. Yeah. And tied them forever to what the movie is. Like, a lot of the entire plot of Return of the Jedi is about 
Luke and his dad. They don't retcon it and say, oh, well, he wasn't your dad. I'm sorry. Yeah, like him coming to grips. He was just trying to fuck with you, LMAO. Right. It's just like him coming to grips with Vader being his father and, like, learning how to fight him. Yeah. And it's just, like, it was really good. And that's the best part about Return of the Jedi. The Ewok stuff kind of sucks, but... (laughs) True. It, it, It does. Uh, Return of the Jedi is not perfect. No, it's not by but any stretch. But it's, it's way better than Rise of Skywalker because it doesn't get lost in the weeds too much. And it has heart. It still embraces the previous movie. It doesn't ignore the previous movie. It views that previous movie as essential to what its identity ends up being. And that's what they should have done with Rise of Skywalker. You I could have. I definitely think they should have, and I think it's a fatal mistake and one that dehumanizes Rey. Yes. To make her not nobody. I think that was the worst decision they could have possibly the whole, made. Like, they, they all they had to do is just set it up for the whole you forge your own destiny thing. And, like, Ray's family, like, Ray's family throughout the first two movies of that trilogy are her friends. Are the people, the people in the Resistance that she learned from, that she came to love. That's her family. Making some dumb shit that, like, oh, Emperor Palpatine's alive and he's your dad is, like... The laziest. They try to have the cake thing. and eat it too on this point when they have her declare that she's a Skywalker at the end. I would have been okay with that. I'm okay with that. Am I yeah. okay with her declaring she's a Skywalker? Like, okay, so even if you if you threw out most of this movie, threw out the whole Palpatine thing, and went with the elements that were in the Last Jedi, it would still make sense that the end the end of the movie happens and somebody asks her what her last name is and she says Skywalker, and if she didn't know her last name, she would say that. Yeah, I would have been okay with that without the Palpatine twist. Right. Sure. I got you. It, it, it makes sense that she would say that. Mm. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Sure. Like, yeah, that's her... Like, if you're getting trained by both Luke and Leia and you spend that much time with them and learning from them... Yeah. It makes sense that, that you, you don't have a family. Like, that's my family. Right. Sure. And, it makes and, perfect I sense. I mean, you could argue that yeah, Luke is a Skywalker. Yeah. Just like Anakin was. Just like Vader was. Mm-hmm. And so he's attached to the main bad guy of the trilogy. Yeah. Kind of just like, I guess, Rey is here. But the original trilogy definitely gave more development to Vader being the main villain of all three films than this trilogy did to the Emperor. It gave more stuff to Kylo Ren. And that's why I thought... being somewhat distracting given all the themes that go on with Rey... Yeah. And doesn't necessarily mesh completely well with hers. Yeah. Uh, he has a redemptive arc, much like Vader does. It ends up just being all too familiar. Yep. And the story of, uh-oh, your dad is evil, and it was the story of Empire. And it doesn't need to be the story of this, too. Right. Uh I think Luke still works as that everyman kind of you-could-have-been-Luke-Skywalker hero. The fact that his dad is evil isn't necessarily an excuse for why he has Jedi powers in the original trilogy. This feels like they had to attach her to one of the most canonically OP Star Wars characters to explain why she is able to do various things. Which, I bring up Kung Fu Panda somewhat as a joke... But that movie shows him doing all kinds of shit. He takes out the bad guy who almost takes out the master character in that movie. Yeah. 
And no one's talking about on the internet that the panda's a Mary Sue for the past five years. I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sometimes that stuff can be inspiring, particularly to a young age group. Yeah. Which is definitely what both of these things are shooting for. Or at least should be shooting for. You know, I bring up Kung Fu Panda as kind of a joke example, but maybe if you want a serious example, you could look it into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Which, like, Miles Morales in that movie becomes Spider-Man, but not necessarily because he's, like, Peter's son. Because that would be boring. And not necessarily an everyman kind of story that everyone could see a little bit of themselves and the main character in. You know? wouldn't have been as relatable because you're not Spider-Man's son. <laughs> you're like Joe Schmo watching the movie. But you could maybe imagine yourself out of nowhere getting these powers and what do you do with it and how do you cope? And that's what these Star Wars movies could have dealt a little better with, mm-hmm. I think. Out of all the problems, like most of them are very minor and they're plot hole-esque to me about episode 9. But I think the biggest problem I have is with the theming of this. Basically what I'm saying is it would have been better if Poe from Kung Fu Panda was the main character of the Star Wars trilogy. I agree. (laughs) In a roundabout way, this is actually what I'm saying. Not literally fucking Jack Black Kung Fu Panda. But if Ray but had that, that journey, idea, right? If Ray had that that journey, the pure of, journey, instead of the fucking stupid ass one we got to end out this trilogy. I didn't even like the Last Jedi. It is a massively better film than this one. Oh my god! Well, it's trying to do something, and I think unless you're a jaded asshole, you can at least respect that. Yeah, you can respect that it was trying to do something. It did something different. Yes. This is trying to appease to Disney's interests. And that's it. Now, I said all this to also say this. Because this movie made me completely depressed about Star Wars. Yes. And then I watched the season finale of The Mandalorian. And The Mandalorian is not a perfect show. There are a couple episodes that are kind of just outright bad. But the finale is, I think... Genuinely speaking, my favorite Star Wars thing to happen in the last, like, 10 years, maybe 20 years. Damn. Uh, Now, I obviously haven't consumed every single Star Wars thing. Right. I'm sure there's KOTOR stands that would not agree with me. I didn't play KOTOR. Maybe we'll just say the past 10 years. No, so you'll never be able to experience the beauty that was the Jedi Jedi Academy online. Sure. Maybe just in terms of what I've seen in film or TV. You know, I, I I liked it so much, and there's a reveal at the end of that episode that I'm going back, and I'm watching all the Clone Wars, which is not something I thought I'd do after watching Rise of Skywalker, because I was totally not wanting to deal with Star Wars for for a while. Right. I was like, fuck Star Wars. Yeah. But then Mandalorian is like, yeah, but like, what if it was good and fun? And Taika Waititi directed 
two idiot stormtroopers shooting the shit and being assholes. And I'm like, I'm sold. It's good now. <laughs> um, you need to watch that. I will. And I, I honestly wasn't going to give you like a wholehearted recommendation until this episode. Okay. Um, it is good. And I you can't just jump to the eighth episode. It doesn't work like that. It's part of the ongoing arc of the show. About Baby sure. Yoda. It feels like this show will kind of like exist as thus. The first couple episodes will be major arc stuff. Then there will be several episodes that are kind of just solo adventures. Some of them will be good. Not all of them will be good. It is a TV show. Sometimes someone will have not the best take on Star Wars. Right. And maybe not the best writing. But then you get to the finale stuff, and then that may will maybe be big arc stuff too. That's how this season went. And if the second season's like that, I'm all for it. I really like the characters. And I like how uh, brutal they are with some of them too. Like, we have a cast... But it seems like the cast is going to be very different for season two, not to spoil too much things. I definitely enjoyed the ride. The eighth episode is above and beyond the best of the eight. Uh, there's no contest whatsoever. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you much else besides that. <laughs> I would love to get into spoilers and specifics, but Should take a long it's time solely a unique thing. In Star Wars, at least. It's not a unique kind of story, because obviously it's like, hey, it's a Western. And it's a serialized Western, too, where, like, there's a random town of the week that our sheriff rolls up into. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Gunsmoke. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like Bonanza. Ah. But it's like if those were Star Wars and not... 40 years old, <laughs> if right. that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I get it. It's something atypical for TV now, because now we have, you know, things where 13 episodes get dumped on Netflix and they're all integral to the plot, and this feels more like those shows, with the exception of the overarching story stuff that happens in the first couple episodes and the last couple episodes. That middle chunk is where you can have some fun. Seems like Clone Wars is like that, too. I don't like Clone Wars nearly as much so far. I'll tell you that. But Clone Wars is its own has its own problems, which are I'll get into it at a later date once I watch more Clone Wars. Yeah, I also hated Star Wars until I played Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, I I think so. this year would have been a great year for Star Wars if it wasn't for Star Wars. Yeah. Oddly enough, if it wasn't for the main thing. Yeah. Which is a thing that's kind of been happening since the prequels is that the side content tends to be better. It's interesting. Because it's able to be more focused, I think. Um, and also, idiots aren't making it. and There's not a giant uh, loop, looming studio over you making dumb decisions. Yeah. Or a giant looming George Lucas over you making the dumb decisions. The creative freedom on display in these two 2019 Star Wars projects that aren't The Rise of Skywalker are yeah. very appealing to me. Yeah. You could tell that John Favreau and Taika Waititi and uh, everyone else involved with The Mandalorian are uh, having a lot of fun crafting something that they feel is, uh, you know, decidedly not hinging on space wizards yeah. to move the plot forward. Right. Like, yeah, you got Baby Yoda. <coughs> Spoiler is Baby Yoda. I'm sorry, have you been on the internet recently? Right. There's a Baby Yoda. But, uh, 
I don't know what they're going to do with the Baby Yoda, but it's definitely not, you know... I like how they handle the Force in this show, I'll say that. Because it's not presented as like, oh... Jedi, Force battles, big lightsaber fights, ooh... It's presented more like, what is this power? What is that? That's fine. I don't know what that is. That's fucking weird, well, Because the Jedi have been gone for so many years at that point in The Mandalorian. That it's just like... Yeah, um... I, I approach it like if the Empire took over the galaxy completely, they would probably burn books that painted them in a bad light, which would be Jedi yeah. texts and stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, burn books, figuratively speaking. <laughs> I don't necessarily mean literally burn books, but maybe That's suppress of- information about space wizards would be what they would do. That's something they talk about in Jedi Fallen Order, where, like, the existence of the Jedi are just, like, at that point, like, rumors. Yes. And just, like... Whereas they were commonplace during the Clone Wars era, which is interesting to think of how society breaks down that far. Right. In that span of time. Uh, That middle period between 3 and 4 is incredibly interesting. This is after 6, actually. So this is after Luke successfully... Like, they win... But you can tell that there's still skepticism. and Like, even though we know that the heroes won and are in charge and everything, mm-hmm. uh, the layman of the galaxy is kind of just like, you know, meet the new boss same as the old boss about it. Right. Which makes sense because they lived through a timeline where big, great Senator Chancellor Man turned out to be evil space wizard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, living through that would probably make me distrustful of all government. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, please check out Mandalorian and Jedi Fallen Order if you're at all at odds with how you feel about Star Wars at the moment. Those are two things that could redeem it for you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm excited to watch Clone Wars, which is uh, not something I thought I would say in 2020. I thought I was going to be like, no Star Wars 2020, baby. I'm good, fam. We're going to watch Battlestar Galactica instead. Oh. <laughs> but anyway. Is it time? Is it time, or do you have anything else you want to talk about? Mm, I'm good. All right. Let's go into it. <coughs> Batman. That's, that's the theme, right? I did yeah. it right. Yeah. yeah, you did. Danny Elfman iconic theme that shit good alright let me pull up my notes cause I have a lot because of course I do because uh you know this is a big movie it's a big movie in film history at the very least in comic book movie history cause uh what do you have before this Superman that might be it the Superman and its sequel yeah yeah, this is a big one. This is an important one. It, it it shapes the direction that superhero movies will take for some time. So, yeah. Let's talk about it. So, Batman, as a character, was extremely popular in the late 60s. Yeah. Thanks to the television show. But that ends. And all of a sudden, Batman's popularity, at least to a general non-comic book fan audience begins to fade. In the late 70s, nobody really gives a shit about Batman about 10 years later. However, an extremely successful Superman film in 1978 
leads to renewed interest in making a potential Batman film. You may notice I said 78. This movie came out in... 89. 89. Right. So uh, we have a lot of crap that happens in this 10-year span. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so apologies. I know I just uh, talked about uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, Kung Fu Panda, a lot. But I'm going to keep talking a lot. Oops. Go for it, buddy. <laughs> Appreciate it because I'm dying. That's true. Jusby's dying. I'm dying. <laughs> All right, producers Benjamin Melnicker and Michael E. Usland. I don't know how to pronounce names. Not good enough. I'm sorry if I killed it. Now, these guys both remain Batman producers for decades later, all the way up to fucking like the current ones Batman v Superman tier shit. shit. These are the guys that buy the film rights to the character in 1979, and they begin pitching Batman to film studios. They want a Batman that's less like the 1960s campy television show and more like the original Bob Kane, Bill Finger creation with a dark and serious tone. Many studios turn them down because they want something... That is like the 1960s television show. <laughs> so, Uslan decided to write a script so that he and Melnicker would have something more tangible to pitch to studios. Because they're really not getting it. They think Batman is Adam West. And that's it. Not necessarily a bad thing, mind you. We enjoyed the hell out of the 60s Batman <laughs> movie. But, if you're trying to change the character... Maybe you need something to convince people that it would be better another way. Or at least good another way. So, Uslan writes a script called Return of the Batman. Uslan later compares the tone of this script to Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, but that wouldn't come out for about a half decade later. So this interesting, dark portrayal of Batman is an early one. Right. Now, the character was beginning to go a more serious route anyway after the 60s Batman era. Yeah. Uh, in the comics. Neil Adams stuff. Right. Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, all that shit. Yeah. Good shit. So, the pitch attracts fellow producers John Peters and Peter Goober. I want to talk about John Peters Goober. for a second because I did not know that this man is... A notorious, infamous producer that you may have heard the exploits of, at least tangentically. Uh -oh. uh, Kevin Smith talked about him at length in An Evening with Kevin Smith. This is the man who infamously bought the film rights for Superman in the late 90s. Oh, yep. And his various weird demands <laughs> to Kevin Smith, who at the time was the writer of that project are chronicled in this evening with Kevin Smith's show. Uh, things from, like, you know, I want Brainiac to have a fight with two polar bears, to I want a giant spider at the beginning of the third act. Just various <coughs> nonsensical weirdo things to ask to just be forced into a movie. Uh, he would later produce Superman Returns and Man of Steel. He did purchase the film rights to Superman. Two bad movies. Yes. Funnily enough, 
This man was banned from set by Christopher Nolan for Man of Steel. He said, get the fuck out. You ain't allowed on set, bitch. Partially, possibly because he was found guilty of sexual harassment on the set of Superman Returns in 2011. Jesus Christ. So, uh, this guy's had quite a career. <laughs> yeah, I'd not, say so. Not recently. Not in the past decade, though. I wonder why. Anyway, these guys enter the fray and join the other two executive producers as producers. So you got four key people trying to make Batman happen. Now, Warner Brothers, fresh off the success of Superman, decides to accept their pitch and helm Batman as well. They commission a script from Tom Mankiewicz, who bases his script largely off of the Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers comic, Batman Strange Apparitions. Dick Grayson was part of the script at this point. Several rewrites and potential directors were considered, including Joe Dante. Oh, shit. That would have been weird. Yeah, it would have. But I would have been game for it. Me too. Always game for Joe Dante. Probably would have been way more cartoony than they wanted. Oh, yeah, probably. Uh, and Ivan Reitman, the director of Ghostbusters and other right. films. Uh, incidentally, he wanted Bill Murray to play Batman. That would have been terrible. And Eddie Murphy to play Robin. That would have been terrible. Yeah, I'm really glad that version didn't get made. That would have been something. We would have been be having a different conversation today. Right, yeah. Uh, so, Warner Brothers... Finally, decides on a guy who we all know the name of, uh, the famous director of such hit films as Alice in Wonderland. God damn it. Dark Shadows. Miss Peregrine's Home for Stupid Kids. Frank and Weenie? Did he, did he direct Frank and Weenie? Yeah, I think so. Oh. I'm trying to think of other irrelevant Tim Burton films. Oh, Charlie and the Chocolate about. Factory. Yeah. Okay, no, it's Tim Burton. And it's early Tim Burton, so it's good. Right. Uh, Beetlejuice. This movie. The sequel to this movie. Uh, my personal favorite Tim Burton movie, Ed Wood. Yeah. He was kind of good in the 90s. Yeah. Late 80s. Absolutely. Now, they're hiring him based on his movie from 1985, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah! Which, I like that movie a lot, too. I love that movie. Uh... But production didn't begin in earnest until Burton had finished his successive film after that, Beetlejuice, in 1988, which he would, of course, work with Michael Keaton on. So, Steve Englehart, whose work was the source of inspiration for the fucking script, was asked to write a new version of it in 1986. This version initially involved Robin and Penguin, but WB intervenes and says, there are too many characters, and I agree. You don't need to just out the bat, no pun intended, involve Robin and Penguin. Stick to just Batman versus Joker. I agree with at least that idea of this movie. So several years pass with little progression. But the success of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns in 1986 and... 
Alan Moore and Brian Boland's The Killing Joke in 1988 renews Warner Brothers' interest in making this happen while the fandom of Batman is high, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, Those two seminal works also help inspire Burton, who uh, has admitted to not being a big comic book fan at all. Here's a quote from him. I was never a giant comic book fan, but I've always loved the image of Batman and the Joker. The reason I've never been a comic book fan, and I think it started when I was a child, is because I could never tell which box I was supposed to read. I don't know if it was dyslexia or whatever, but that's why I loved The Killing Joke, because for the first time, I could tell which one to read. It's my favorite. It's the first comic I've ever loved, and the success of those graphic novels made our ideas more acceptable. I think the fact that he probably only read two Batman comics before making this movie kind of explains a lot. Yeah. Uh, And not necessarily in a positive way. I think one of my problems with this movie is that it doesn't really understand certain aspects of Batman's character. I still like it quite a bit. And we'll get into those moments later. But... Keep it in mind. So Burton asks Sam Ham, which is a brilliant name, uh, a writer and comic book fan. Uh, he would later write Batman Returns and uh, Monkey Bone. Monkey Bone. Everyone's favorite film. Monkey Bone. Uh, he asked him to write a script. Ham decides to make it less of an origin story and tease out Batman's true identity throughout the film. Uh, he also decides to change up some roles from Englehart's script. That version had Silver Saint Cloud. They changed it into Vicky Vale. That version had a Batman gangster character called Rupert Thorne. They changed it to an original character known as Carl Grissom. The role of Batman was considered by to, by many Hollywood actors. Yeah, giant list of people that included, but was not limited to. Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Jesus, Tom Selleck, Harrison Ford, Dennis Quaid, Pierce Brosnan, and Willem Dafoe, all considered. Oh my god, Willem Dafoe Batman. I feel like he should have been the Joker instead. Yeah. But okay. Willem Dafoe Batman would be funny as fuck. He can fuck. act anything, I don't care. No, He'd he's, be fine he's no a top tier actor. But... Michael Keaton was cast on the suggestion of uh, crazy-ass John Peters, who uh, (laughs) was a suggestion that Burton was all for since he had just worked with Keaton on Beetlejuice. The casting of Keaton uh, drew the ire of comic book fans. Now, Keaton at the time was seen as a comedic actor. Mm. He was not seen as a leading man in this capacity. He was seen as Mr. Mom. In a tr- as a trend amongst Batman movies, apparently. Yeah. There's always somebody bitching about something. About well, some role. About some role. I don't think that's just a trend with Batman. I think that's a trend here's, with annoying fandoms in general. Here's the thing, guys. Comedic actors are still actors. Uh-huh. And they know how to act. Yeah. So, <laughs> most of the time... Comedic actors can act really well in serious roles. Yep. I feel like you should just 
let the movie exist and see it. And then if they if it failed, you could say that was a bad idea. If it succeeds, you could go like that was a good idea. Take it on face value, please. Yeah. Don't just immediately go, Michael Keaton, I'm sending an angry letter to my congressman. Right. <laughs> so, this combined with Burton directing, who, you know, he just came off of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, <laughs> caused the assumption that the film was going to be cheesy and yeah. campy, like right. the 60s show. And the fans didn't want that. After the success of shit like Dark Knight Returns, they wanted a darker, more serious level of storytelling. Um, I get it, but the the lengths they went to to be pissed about this was too far. Now, this is before Twitter and everything. It probably would have been way worse. But uh, they sent 50,000 protest letters to Warner Brothers. Uh, so this leads to WB hiring Bob Kane... As a creative consultant on the project to give it some comic legitimacy, which is not something that you should see next to the name Bob Kane. Right. Ever. But it's not like they could have asked Bill Finger at the time because he unfortunately passed away in 1974. Uh, He never got to really see his legacy respected in his lifetime. Uh, and as was the case with this movie and many movies to come, he is not credited as a creator of Batman. Which is terrible. And it is bullshit. But, so that was the casting of Batman. Let's talk about the casting of the Joker. This one is less complicated, but there was a laundry list of names, of course. Tim Curry, David Bowie, John Lithgow... Ray Liotta. Oh, God. James Woods. What? Uh, I'm glad that didn't happen. The fuck? John Glover and Robin Williams, who was really trying to get the part but failed, were all potential Jokers, but Jack Nicholson had been WB's top choice since the project's early days in the 70s, even. Nicholson negotiated a filming schedule he dictated. He was off for Lakers home games, for instance. Oh, my God. Uh, As well as top billing for himself and a portion of the marketing sales. In many ways, this was his show. Right. But in many ways... It was his show. It fucking is when you watch the movie. Right. He's on screen more than Batman, I think. Pretty sure, yeah. He also convinced producers to give the role of Bob to his friend, Tracy Walter. (laughs) Oh, my God. <laughs> well, not, that's probably why it's not a huge name actor, man. So, other cast includes, of course, just to name a few, Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale, Robert Wool as Alexander Knox, asshole journalism man. Yeah. Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. I gotta say, the, the, this Tim Burton verse of Batman has, like, one of my least favorite Commissioner Gordons ever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ever. He doesn't do like, shit. Right. He sucks, and he doesn't even look like the character. Yeah. He looks more like he was playing Chief O'Hara. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Michael Goh as Alfred, but perhaps most unique and uh, sad is that we got Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. Yeah, which is dope. With the intention by Burden... By Burton being to have him become Two Face and be a lead villain in a sequel film, 
that never fucking materialized. That I would sucks. have loved to see that shit, and I am so mad that it never happened. He was excellent in this movie. He's pretty good as Harvey Dent. I feel like he would have been even better as Two-Face. Oh, yeah. That would have been the shit. I would love to see it. So, production begins, or at least pre-production. They finally get their shit together. Yeah. Everything is set in place. Burton works with art director Nigel Phillips and production designer Anton First to helm a unique look for Gotham City, which is one of the high points of the movie, I think. Gotham City looks amazing. The set design. The Mm -hmm. city design. First set out to make Gotham, and I quote, the ugliest and bleakest metropolis possible. We imagined what New York City might have become without a planning commission. A city run by crime, with a riot of architectural styles. An essay in ugliness, as if hell erupted through the pavement and kept on going. That's a dope description. I love it. I love the design of Gotham in this. It's the most comic accurate thing in the whole fucking movie. Yeah. For sure. Gotham always looks like a weird shithole, but like an artsy shithole. But like it's a shithole. But like they got like cool statues. I don't know. It's a weird contradiction. It's a fun one. It kind of like drives home the notion that like maybe it was once cool. And now it's like because of the excessive crime shitty and that necessitates the need for Batman. Right. Burton had the idea for Batman's costume to be pure black, which was not typical, uh, and not look like tights, also not typical. A decision that also drew the ire of comic fans, at least initially. Keaton could barely move in the costume. You could tell. And uh, yeah, you totally can. You could also tell that he can't move his head Yeah. in that thing. Just can't move his head. He's like the the kid in the Christmas story in the sweater. He's just like fucking motionless and has to yeah. act. Uh, according to Burton, quote, Michael is a bit claustrophobic, which made it worse <laughs> for him. The costume put him in a dark Batman-like mood, though, so he was able to use it to his advantage. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why Michael Keaton didn't want to do Batman movies after the sequel. Damn. <laughs> No, I'm not wearing that fucking suit ever again. Uh, Now, Keaton did decide on a character choice that has basically been used in every Batman thing ever since. And that is deciding to use a different voice for Batman as opposed to Wayne. Makes sense. Which is not the case in the 60s show, as I talked about last week or the week before. Yeah. Where Adam West talks to Batman on the phone and tries to hide his secret identity, but just has the same monotone voice the whole time. Right. Amazing. Uh, So, production encountered several issues. Studio-mandated script rewrites, excessive, multiple times, and two film reels are stolen from the incredibly secretive production about 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, Burton described the filming as, quote, torture, the worst period of my life. (coughs) Damn. And uh, script rewrites were happening down to the minute. The original ending had Joker killing Vicky Vale and uh, Batman killing him in a rage, which isn't that far from what happens. No. But uh, Vicky Vale lives. 
Uh, this was changed very late into production. It confused cast and crew as to what the actual ending of the film was while they were filming. So that's a good sign. Jesus. So, lastly, let's talk about the score before we go into the plot of the movie. The score and the soundtrack. Danny Elfman was chosen by Burton to do the score after working with him on Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. A task which made Elfman incredibly nervous, as before this, he had never worked on a film with this big of a production budget before. This was like his big break. Yeah. And it wasn't all intents and purposes. Like, his Batman theme defines the character for... Probably the complete following decade. Right. It ends up being used in Batman the Animated Series, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Um, it ends up being the definitive theme song for the character. Yeah. I think for all time. They've tried other stuff in stuff like Batman v Superman, and honestly, they must have known that it wasn't that good. Because they just went back to it in Justice League. They used the Batman film uh, score yeah. in that. Probably because Danny Elfman did the score for that movie. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's so iconic. Now, despite Danny Elfman, though, producers, weirdos, <laughs> Peters yeah. and Gabriel, I'm sorry, Goober, <laughs> Peters and Gabriel, uh, uh, Sledgehammer, uh, they wanted a more commercial tie-in as well. They wanted songs to be in the movie. They want a soundtrack album from Prince. And, uh... Burton hates that idea. Burton hates that idea a lot. Oh, he I'm protests sure. it. But he doesn't win that battle. The studio wins that battle because they're like, Thank a Damani. We're going to release an album of Prince songs for the movie. Uh, so yeah, therefore, Batman is one of the first films to have both a score and a soundtrack released individually. Which is now a fairly common practice. Yeah. But back then, those were kind of thought of as one and the same thing. At least when you're releasing a commercial album of the material. So, that's kind of a weird trendsetter. And it's also a weird trendsetter in the sense that a lot of the Prince songs aren't in the movie. Just straight up. Yeah. There's only only like three, right? Yeah, but that's a whole album of nine songs. So I know I have it on vinyl. Yeah. (laughs) Great. We should listen to it someday. It's actually not that bad, but No, it's not that bad. It's maybe not the best Prince album. No, no, no. There's a couple songs I I really like on it though. Party Man's fun. But it's in the movie. Yeah. So let's talk about what the movie actually uh is. You're gonna hit me with some uh some good old what happens in the movie. Yeah, I got you, buddy. So movie opens with a nice little establishing shot of Gotham. It is dark, it is murky, it is shitty, and I love it. Yeah. Um, we get a little scene where it follows a family exiting a theater, and... Uh-oh, we- is it the Waynes about to get murked? Nope, they're just a family that gets mugged. Yeah. And then the fucking weird-ass-looking meth heads run away <laughs> with their money, and they hide up in, like, some roofing On scaffolding a rooftop? Shit. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And then they start talking about rumors of the Batman. Mm-hmm. And so now you get established this very early on that Batman exists, but is not prominent yet. Early in his career. Right. He's a rumor. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then... Which I always liked that aspect of the lore. I'm yeah. glad it's at least in this movie. Right, that he's like some kind of monster or something. It's fun. Yeah. And then he shows up. Good old Michael Keaton Batman shows up in his suit where he can't move. <laughs> and... It's really funny looking at it in retrospect. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, my God. Beats up some guys. I don't know how if he can't move. And then says, tell your friends about me. I'm Batman. Tell your friends about me. Here's my card. Here's my card? Here's my business card. Tell your friends about me. Is it the Bat credit card? Oh, no. We're not at that movie yet, Justin. Oh, no. You know what's funny, though? They reference that... uh, slogan never leave home without it and in that movie they reference that too because batman says never leave the cave without it right so that's in that's in the first and last of the burton verse if you will the burton slash schumacher verse which should be two different separate universes entirely but unfortunately are not oh boy oh boy so after this little introductory scene to Batman, um, we get uh, our introduction of who will eventually become our main villain. Jokey. Yep. Play, uh, Jack Jack Napier. Mm-hmm. <coughs> this is an atypical yes, choice. Yes, this is To have the Joker, Joker just decidedly be a person before his origin happens, and then, like, he's even an asshole before he becomes the Joker. Oh, yeah, he's a piece-of-shit crime boss. Yeah, well, he's also a psychopath still, even before. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm i not sure how much I like this idea. I'm okay with it. I, I, I don't know. I kind of just like not knowing where the Joker comes from, because thinking about it is more interesting than having answers. Yeah. But I'm not entirely opposed to having an answer to it like that can actually be a very interesting discussion and a very interesting even movie to have like in the Joker movie but this I kind of don't like that he's it's like the transformation doesn't mean anything because he's already a psychopath crime lord but then landing in the vat of chemicals just makes him a crazy Psychopath, right? <laughs> like he was already kind of there. Yeah, is what I'm saying. Just kind of pushed him over the edge. Yeah, sure. So we get an introduction to Jack Napier, soon to be Joker, who uh, is threatening to take over his boss's position. Carl Grissom, mm-hmm. a new character mm-hmm. in Batman, original guy. He's a he's a dick. I could have just been any fucking Batman crime lord, man. Yeah, it doesn't really it doesn't matter. really matter. And uh, we find out in this introductory scene that uh, Jack is a. Uh, Fucking Grissom's girlfriend, just fucking her. Yeah, just giving her the big fuck. Jack Nicholson had it in his contract that he has to give a girl a big fuck in this movie. I mean, probably. he didn't actually fuck anybody in this movie, but off screen, off screen. Yeah, they definitely implied off screen that they fucking. <laughs> we get it, just. <laughs> so we get. <coughs> After that, another introduction scene where we're just kind of setting the stable of what's to come here. Lots of uh, introductions to characters in the early third of this movie. Right. They get it out of the way pretty early, and so they just let the rest of the thing ride out, which I'm kind of okay with. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sure, get it out of the way. But we get an introduction to our newsboy. 
Newsboy. I forget his name. I who cares? That's, I read it earlier, but I already forget. I kept wanting to say his name was Jack Ryder, which is a similar character in the comics. Eventually becomes the Creeper, but it's not Jack Ryder. It's uh Jackass or something like that, you know? Yeah. William Dickhead. Newsman. Tabloid Joe. Sure. Whatever his name is. I, for, I can't. I don't have it written down. <coughs> I have written down as Newsman. Well, that's fine. <laughs> so he is very invested in figuring out what the fuck this Batman rumor is. Yeah, which everybody kind of like derides him <laughs> for it in the office. Yeah, so he's running around asking questions that nobody wants to answer. He's like, this is Pulitzer shit. <laughs> yeah. And soon after, we get our introduction to Vicky Vale. Who uh, meets him and is like, I'm just, I want to see Batman. I'm interested in Batman. Why, he's like, why is she interested in Batman? He's like, want to fuck? And she's like, no. No, I want to fuck Batman. Right. That's her deal in yeah. this movie. Mm-hmm. I guess. I don't, I don't know. I I kind of question the portrayal of this character in general. Yeah. Uh, I not my favorite. Her, no, because most of her plot is just, I want to fuck Batman. I fuck well, they Wayne. give her this, like, thing where she has this, like, story she won awards or gains notoriety for. Yeah. About some crisis in a foreign country or something. Uh, but they don't really expand upon that idea a lot other than it's just a thing that characters know her for. Yeah. That way she's like established journalist lady. Right. Uh, other than that, she's just here to fuck Bruce Wayne. And then that way there's tension scenes later. Great. Thanks. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Out of the main characters in the film, she's probably the weakest as far as like what they're there to do. I think so. They hope that they're going to learn. They they set it up so they're they're going to go to a party at the Wayne Manor. Yeah. And then like everybody watching the movie is like, yeah, Batman. And then people writing the movie are like, you don't know that. That's another problem I have with this movie is that the decision to tease out the reveal is stupid. Now maybe in 1989, not everybody knows. Maybe, but I feel like there was enough people that watched the '60s show. Or were at least aware of it culturally. Right. And know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Like, every episode started with Stately Wayne Manor. Bruce Wayne, secretly the caped crusader, slides down the fucking pole that puts on his clothes automatically. (laughs) Like, every episode started out with telling you that. People would know. Yeah. What do you think, I'm a fucking idiot, Tim Burton? Come on! You probably do, because you keep making a... Bad movies and think I'm gonna go see them. Right. You idiot. I ain't seeing Dumbo, stupid ass. Ooh. So we cut back to a short <laughs> scene with Jack Napier and the stupid ass boss. Where's boss decides to set him up to die because he's caught wind of uh, him fucking his girlfriend. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not having this shit. Time to blow him up in a chemical factory right. and get him arrested by the cops. So or he some tells shit, him that huh? a chemical factory's compromised and he needs to go clean it out. And he's like, fuck. And he kind of gets the idea. He knows what's happening. 
pretty much right away. Well, but he a little bit. Anyway. Once they go to pick up the files that they're supposed to like get rid of or whatever, and they're not there, he's like, we've been yeah. had. Well, even beforehand, he's already trying to get out of it. Because yeah. he, he kind of has an idea of what's going on. We get the you are my new number one guy line. Right. Which will be repeated later. Yes, it will. Interesting. Parallels. That's that scene of Party at Wayne Manor. Yeah. Which, uh... Which I guess get... Commissioner Gordon goes to to gamble. Yeah. I don't know. It felt out of character. But this entire Commissioner Gordon at all feels out of character for Commissioner Yeah, I don't Gordon. like it very much. So, yeah. Gordon gets word that the clean-out of the chemical plant's happening, and he runs off. Our yes. journalists notice this, and they get curious. And they start looking around to find Gordon, ask him some questions. Yeah, but then they get distracted by Bruce Wayne's haul of expensive shit. Right. And then they're just like, LMAO, look at this rich douche's stuff. And then he, well, he just walks in. And he's like, yeah, it's all my shit. I'm the rich douche. Hello. And they're like, oh, no, sorry, buddy. Yeah. Act like he did. They didn't. He didn't even hear it because they're right. stupid. Right. <coughs> but anyway, he has to go. Alfred lets him know that. Uh, yeah, that know. shit's going down. Yep, yep. In, In a, a very obvious scene where he's like, "There's something going on, sir. Why don't you go this way, sir? It's very urgent, sir." That's not suspicious at all. No, nope, not even no a little bit. No way. And all the while, Vicky Vale's wet. <laughs> <laughs> and she's gonna go out to dinner with him. She knows well, that's that. One way to put it. <coughs> that's how she's written. It's terrible. Yeah, it is kind of very just generic. Like it reminds me of. I mean, like Vicky Vale's always kind of been an iffy character in the comics for me. Yeah. Uh, do you remember a comic by the name of All Star Batman? Yeah, Robin, sure do, buddy. Written by legendary. Used to be good, but is now a psychopath Frank Miller. Yep. Uh, that comic starts out with Vicky Vale in her underwear. I guess just because, fuck you, look at this girl in underwear. Uh, finding out she's going on a date with Bruce Wayne. And then she just keeps saying, I'm going on a date with Bruce Wayne. Over and over again. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that this character doesn't feel that different from that version of the character is depressing to me. Please learn how to write females, <coughs> Hollywood in general. Yeah. If you could do that, because this movie from 1989, like, it's it's dated. Sure, I'll give you that. But I don't know how much progression we've had on this as a whole. Not a whole lot. Uh, Not it's enough. It's depressing. <laughs> Not enough. So, Batman goes to the Kemiki plant. But not the, before we see the Kamiki plant. Not before we see what's going on in it, though. Where we have Napier and his his goons mm -hmm. cleaning the place up. But then they open up lockers, supposed to contain files they were supposed to grab, and they've been had. Right, right. right. It's empty. Yep. And at the same time, all the cops go show up because Grissom tipped them. Yeah. Uh, let uh, their uh, inside cop man know to go there. Yep. Fred Flintstone or whatever his name is. And so the whole ass police shows up. They <laughs> suck at their jobs. Yeah. Because they are just getting shot. Yeah. By these thugs. That guy gets shot too. By yep. Napier. Gets his revenge before he even becomes the Joker on that guy. Crazy. Yeah. And so while it seems like they are winning pretty good, Batman shows up. Yep. 
And then the Joker thing happens. Yep. And then, yep, and then he slips off the thingy and is about to fall into the vat. Batman tries to hold on to save him, slips off into the vat. Uh-oh. Everybody's like, that guy's dead. And they but just walk not. away. He just becomes Joke Man. Yeah. Uh, I really like the shot of his hand coming out of the uh, vat of shit. Yeah. It's a really creepy it's horror real movie good. shot. And then the scene we get in a little bit of him at the doctor. It's fantastic. Is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, maybe in all of Batman. I love that scene. Yeah. Although it's been slightly ruined slash enhanced <laughs> by a scene from The Simpsons, which parodies it shot for shot. Uh, which is when Lisa gets braces. Yeah, I love that. And scene. she's like, "The mirror, give me the mirror." <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and like smashes it. It's the same exact thing, and I love it. Man, I miss when The Simpsons was a show. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Sorry, I just threw a tantrum. Yeah, I mean, that ends up happening, but up for Batman fucks. <laughs> On the first date, Vicky? Damn, he's just like a rich person. And she just goes oh, to I his, see why you did Yeah, okay. she just goes to his house. And they're at <laughs> an obnoxiously large dining room table. This is a good scene. It's, it's hilarious, funny. yeah. I, I like the idea of Bruce Wayne being uh, kind of an idiot, uh, depending on whether he's pretending to be or not. Right. I think there is a fair amount of uh, good... Batman pretending to be Bruce Wayne scenes in all of these movies. Yeah. I think the Nolan movies do them better than anything else. Oh, yeah. But uh, I do like that aspect of his character where Bruce Wayne is the mask, not Batman. Yeah. Yeah. And so after uh, they decide to be goofy for a little bit, and they're like, yeah, this is stupid. Let's go into the, like a smaller room, please. Let's go into Alfred's cage. Or wherever he lives. <laughs> and then Alfred will tell embarrassing stories about me. And he's like, oh, you should have seen him after his parents got shot. He was such a bitch. <laughs> and they're like, ha, 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 Alfred. Uh, uh, you goof. You scamp. What do you think of this Alfred, by the way? I like him. He's, he's much fine. more of like a comic book idea of what right. Alfred is than anything. Yeah. I, I like more capable Alfreds, if I'm being honest. I like, you know, the Alfred that could probably beat your ass, although he is still not Batman, decidedly. Right. Um, the one that used to have veteran doctor experience kind of shit. Because, like, you know, he has to have a reason to be helpful to Batman, not just Bruce Wayne. Right. He's not just going to clean the house. He has to do other shit, like remove bullets from Batman. Uh, This guy doesn't seem like that kind of guy to me. This guy just seems like a butler through and through. Right. Not necessarily bad. Possibly better than the 60s, Alfred, if we're you I know, think comparing. So, yeah. But, uh... He gets annoying later, I'll tell you that. Just wait. Yep. Are you excited to watch Batman and Robin? I'm very excited to watch Batman and Robin. I'm not. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, after Alfred leaves telling dumb stories, Batman fucks. He does the fuck. And then they, they've probably said two lines of dialogue to each other. Now they're fucking. But, you know, her role is to fuck Bruce Wayne in the story. So that's it. That's a done deal. Got to have it happen immediately. Yeah, and she's like, "When are we gonna do shit again?" He's like, "Not right now." 
I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I got shit to do. Gotta go to Batman's here. Right. And the shit that he has to do deals with the Joker coming up. So we get the iconic scene. Of him, his transformation. Yes. The mirror. Give me the mirror. And he sees the white. But we don't see it yet. Right. And then he goes to get revenge. Yep. On your boy, Carl (laughs) Grissom. Carl's a really intimidating name for a gangster. This dude's a pussy. Yeah, this guy sucks. Mm-hmm. He just walks in. Don't have any guards or nothing. Mm-mm. Just like, just like, is is in there and he's like, "Hey, how you doing?" And kills him. Yeah, it's really good. And it's a good scene, his... though. Yeah, it is. Uh, I love Jack Nicholson <laughs> so fucking much in this movie. Yeah, no, he's the best part about it. He steals the entire film away from everyone involved. Michael Keaton isn't doing a bad job at all, but goddamn Jack Nicholson in this movie. He's fantastic. He defines the Joker for decades to come with this shit. Yeah. Um, and it's honestly kind of a shame that he only got to do it once. Yeah, it but is. Maybe that's part of why it's so legendary. Maybe didn't have time to become shit. Yeah, possibly. Could you imagine Joel Schumacher directing this version of the Joker? Oh, God. It might almost happen, but we'll get into that in the future. We've done a thing where, like, Joker makes robotic mice that admit gas. (laughs) Joker wins a surfing contest against Batman. Let's go! (laughs) I still do love the Cesar Romero version. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, a different Joker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the problem with the Schumacher movies is that they try to be 60s Batman while simultaneously trying to be Tim Burton Batman, which doesn't work at all. You need to pick one. Yep. He didn't want it. He wanted to have his cake and eat it too, mm-hmm. like most Hollywood dumbasses do. Yeah, except the cake was half carrot cake, half chocolate cake, and it was gross. Right. Can't have both. Right. That's bad mix. Stupid. Dumb mix. But anyway, in this movie... Yes, in this movie, we have uh, Joker setting up his plan after he kills Grissom Yeah. to uh, fuck up all of Gotham City. Yeah, just because contam- why not? Yeah. By contaminating basic hygiene products. He goes on a big news thing, he interrupts the news broadcast somehow, who knows, I don't know, it's a Joker, fuck it. Yeah, and he like, kills the other mob bosses too, because fuck yeah. it. Uh, the great scenes with him and the dead guy who's like fried to yeah. death. Yeah. Oh my god. I don't god. know how that works necessarily, but I don't know. Fuck it. It's I, funny I, as fuck. I don't care. <laughs> that was one of the most comic booky things that happened in this movie, and I still love it. For sure. Yeah. And he's like playing with the fucking corpse afterwards. It's funny as fuck. I'm glad you're dead. Oh, it's good shit. It's amazing. There's like weird moments where they kind of just let Jack Nicholson do his thing, and he just makes some weird noises. And it and like you could tell it has to be going off script a bit. Yeah. Because like why else is it in the movie? Like just him going like whoop whoop if you remember that part. Yeah. What is that shit? Him fucking around. I don't know, but it, it really drives home the fact that he's fucking a lunatic. Right. It works out really well in the end. Uh like cause you can't help but like watch him when he's on screen. Cause it's fascinatingly silly. Yeah. It's great. But not in the same degree as, like, you know, 60s Batman Joker. Like, he's, you know, 
you're, you're watching him and seeing like what weird, dangerous, crazy thing he's going to do next. So the thing he does next is uh, sets up a bunch of cosmetic and hygiene things to have like fatal gas in them. They're created with fatal materials. And he gets them out into the wild. Yeah. Batman catches wind of what's happening. And he's like, oh god, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. I have to take this man down. Meanwhile, good old Vicky Vale, back at it again. <laughs> trying to fuck Batman, but can't. He's too busy being Batman. So she starts stalking him instead. Yeah. Let me get good scene where she follows Bruce Wayne around, and uh-huh. then he uh, goes to just outside uh, a courthouse. And uh, it's the first time Joker shows his face. Well, he public. lays down the roses to mourn the Waynes, which we find out later, except we know now. Right. We and then know he now. sees Joker. Right. I was skipping over that part because I forgot <laughs> that even happened. <laughs> Jesus. There's a reason why she was tailing him, you know. There's yeah. a reason that he was going to that destination. It just happened to be close to the courthouse where Joker does his thing, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, so Joker shows up and... Uh, kills a dude. Kills a dude straight up. Just In, uh, throws a feather daylight. pen. Yep, just throws a feather pen into his neck and it, like, I guess it's an artery or something. And I want to point something out that is... <coughs> either, whether it's intentional or not, it's funny to me. I don't care if it is or not. He kills this man in broad daylight. But later on in the movie, when he's trying to convince them to, like, on TV, to, like, still do the parade or whatever, he says, now I'm not a murderer. LMAO. Now, like, Joker, I know that, like, you would lie anyway. But you do know that you went out in the middle of broad daylight and everyone saw you kill this man, right? Yeah. Like, you do know that, right? (laughs) I think it's funny to imagine that he forgot yep because <laughs> he just lives one moment to the next he don't give a shit <laughs> his mom boys show up and shoot a bunch of guys the mimes yes yeah they had mimes planted all around it was goofy as fucks <laughs> yes it was and then uh bruce sees vicky gets her out of danger and then he's like sorry i ain't fucking you right now and then leaves no and he doesn't say man. shit yeah he just leave he says that with his eyes Oh, okay. Gotcha. And then he just leaves. Yeah. And she's like, damn. What? I can't Why? fuck. Why can't I fuck? Now, I think we're back at the Joker's hideout. Yes. And he's just cutting out a million pictures of people. Yeah. It's what he uses for the advertisements right. on the television. But he sees Vicky Vale. And one of them, he's like, Hoochie Mama, I gotta give me some of that puss. And decides to, uh, uh, I guess, like, I don't know what his plan actually is here. But, like, he might not have had one at all, because he's the Joker. Uh, It seems like he wanted her to to photograph everything he was doing. Maybe, or to be his girlfriend and shit, too. Because he has the girlfriend that he had already, but, like, he's fucked her fucking face up and shit. He's done something fucked up to her. Yeah. Um, so she goes to the museum thinking she's going to be on a date with Bruce. And then the fucking Joker shows up. Yeah. Now he gives her a present first. Like he, the waiter hands her it and like she opens it and it's like a gas mask. Yeah. She puts it on and then the Joker kills everyone in this place with gas. This movie has a high body count. It sure does. Uh, 
definitely higher than 60s Batman. I don't know why we thought that was going to be a higher one. Right. Like, you know, we have to assume that villains will kill a lot of people, because they do. Yeah. Well, the only thing I was referring to in Batman 66 was about people that Batman killed. Yes. And that still happens a lot in this movie. Oh, yeah, it does. It's always funny to me when people, like, criticize, like, uh, I don't know. Well... Batman v Superman deserves criticism, but but hear me out. They, when they criticize that he kills people in that movie, or at least seemingly kills people in that movie, I'm like, did you see this one? Yeah. Man, he just tossed a dude down a fucking flights of stairs, and that dude is dead as shit. Absolutely. And he didn't give a fuck about that. No. Oops. But yeah, anyway, Joker and his fucking gang show up after everybody dies from the gas... And they just start, you know, banging out some prints on the on the, the boombox, listening to Party Man, while desecrating art. Yep. And making it new art, I guess. Yep. And then eventually, I love this scene so much. It's so funny. <laughs> He's running around just knocking shit over. Yeah. He's being a shithead. Yeah. It's a good time. And I love the look of his weird-ass, like, normal makeup face. It's honestly more creepy than his normal Joker face. Yeah. Because you could still see that his mouth is all fucked up from whatever happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looks so fucking creepy. It's great. Yeah, it's excellent. Putting makeup over the makeup. It's <laughs> good shit. So, he then uh, eventually gets up to Vicky Vale. Mm-hmm. Attempts to kidnap her and have her take these photos for her. Yeah. And then... Batman. I'd like to point out, and I don't know if this film created this gadget or not, he uses the fucking line launcher. Yes. Which is used in the Arkham games all the time. Mm-hmm. Here. That's where they got it from. Thanks. I think they had to have. Yeah. It's cool. Good. It's a cool tool. Yeah. It's fun. He gets her out of there, and they. this results in a uh, very long sequence where he like drives her to the bat cave. Yeah. They, they there's a bunch of other shit that happens. First, oh yeah, but basically that's and... the key of it. Well, they're right. also driving away from Joker thugs. Yeah. And he utilizes the Batmobile. Yeah. Uh speaking of which, what do you think of the Batmobile in this movie? I, I love like it. The, I like the 89 I love Batmobile. The Batmobile. Yeah. It's really sleek. If we're Good ranking car. Batmobiles, I think I still prefer 60s Batmobile. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cuz this thing looks Kind of silly and yeah. not like an actual vehicle or anything. Right. The 61 just like looks like design. a dope fucking car that yeah, you would yeah, want to yeah. drive. Yeah. This one just looks like some kind of like future tech weird shit. Well, it fits the aesthetic of this Gotham though. Right. I'll tell you that. Yeah, definitely. And then we uh we get a nice little scene where uh Batman looks up and you're like, oh wow, this costume. You really can't move in this costume, huh? <laughs> no! No, you can't! Uh, First of the most impaired in the whole movie when like the poor man tries to look up, <laughs> and it's it's so bad. Yeah, like, he has to turn his whole body upwards. Yeah, he has to like. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, I'm like, oh, poor guy. He has to lean all the way back to look up. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. I mean, eventually, yeah, he eventually drives her, shakes the thugs, drives her to the Bat Cave. Mm-hmm. Where uh, he still ain't trying to show her. The identity. So yeah. he gets together a file um, that he wants her to leak to the press that sh- details out who the fuck the Joker is. Yes. This is good old Jack Napier back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who's doing all this shit with the cosmetics. Leak it to the press. 
Yeah. And so she does. The following morning. Yes. She just wakes up in her fucking bed with the file still. Yeah. She leaks it to the press, but this leads Joker to retaliate by just showing up at her fucking apartment. Right? Uh-huh. Anything else happened before this? No. It's like immediately happens after. Well, no. She he, goes back to the... Ha- Batman, Bruce Wayne, has a conversation with Alfred. That's probably right. a couple times in this movie. Yeah. Where he's kind of like, you know, you know, that girl's pretty hot, man. Maybe you should just fucking marry her. <laughs> and he's like, Alfred, leave me the fuck alone. You tell your like, Batman. Okay, dude. Tell your Batman. He's like, okay, dude. I'll and try. And he goes there to tell her he's Batman. Yeah. Um, does he at any point know that the entire reason she's in Gotham at all is to find out who Batman is and no. what's going on with Batman? She never tells him. Huh. I think she mentioned it at the ball, actually, at Wayne Manor. Maybe. Because I remember Michael oh, yeah, Keaton maybe. reacting to going like, oh, yeah, that Batman creature yes oh yeah that's right um, that's right yeah so i guess he knows so like i don't know it's a question of like how much he can trust her or not i don't think batman would tell her me personally yeah because like even though you guys had like a one night stand and like maybe like each other i don't think things have progressed to the point where you love each other yet but maybe the movie thinks they have yeah but the movie definitely thinks yeah so. which is stupid but like so say in real world you don't uh, would you tell her you're Batman knowing that she's looking for the scoop on who Batman is so that she can make a story about who Batman is? Like, would you tell her really? I don't think so. But anyway, in the logic of the movie, he's like, no, I really like this girl for real. I love this woman. He's going to tell her he's Batman. Yep. And then but he doesn't get a chance to because here's Joker. Again. Yep. I love it. He just knows where she lives. Oops. <laughs> Probably should have hid that identity more. Yep. Hey, you know, maybe it's that's pre nine eleven. Maybe just everybody knows where everybody lives. Everybody's doors are unlocked all the time. You know, mm-hmm. hey, what are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> so, Bruce Wayne kind of ducks off and uh, puts a plate in his shirt. This is very convenient. This is stupid. <laughs> this is stupid convenient. Like, this wow, why do you grab a plate? He decides to confront Joker. And I guess a ploy to get him to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Joker shoots him. He <laughs> Michael Keaton's delivery of the line, you want to get nuts, is really it's, funny it's to me. It's amazing. It's a little too much. <laughs> I loved it. I like it too. You could, it makes it feel like he is literally pretending to be Bruce Wayne. Yeah, 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 sure. And he's like just trying to put on some kind of act. He doesn't bit. know what to do. He doesn't know what to do to like as... That's like a acting as a hero without being Batman. Yeah. So he just does something ridiculous. Yeah. It's kind of the way. Well, I that's another that. reason I don't know if there should if we should really believe that these two characters are in love. Yeah. Because she don't even know who the fuck he is. She <laughs> right. knows Bruce Wayne, and that's yeah. who she fucked. Right. Uh, and like that's not Batman. Uh-huh. That's who Batman pretends to be. Right. Now I don't know what this movie's take on that is at all. Tim Burton could have a way different opinion on this than me. For sure. This is maybe more informed by the Nolan movies and other comics and shit. Right. So maybe they just didn't care. Yeah. I think that's very, very, very possible. That's fair. Yeah. That's a fair assessment. (sighs) But it's still weird. It's weird with a modern lens on it. Yeah, for Uh, sure. Like a lot of things in this this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like the badly written female character. So she screams and Joker just gets the fuck out without taking her anywhere. It's weird. 
Uh, yeah, that is weird. I thought he was coming there to, like, kidnap her. But then he just, like, doesn't. And then he has the fucking parade thing to do, so fuck it. Anyway, Bruce Wayne just disappears. Yeah. But she finds the plate with a bullet in it, so she's like, whoa. Uh, and then off camera, she finds out he's Batman or Alfred tells her. Alfred tells her. Uh, and he just takes her to Batcave to yeah. talk to Bruce Wayne. I don't know if they had a scene where they talked off screen or no. not. Like, Alfred picks her up. I guess it's assumed that on the drive there, he tells her that Bruce Wayne is Batman. I guess. Jeez, Alfred. Way to fucking drop the ball, fam. Just do whatever you want, I guess, Alfred. Who's paying you? The guy that's going to fire you next week for telling everybody you're Batman, dude. So, uh, yeah. I think they have a brief conversation where she's like, you know, I love you, I don't want you to blah, 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 and he's like, but I gotta stop him. Typical Batman shit. Oh, well. I can't love anyone because have to be Batman. Yeah, very typical. Anyway, Joker gives another telecast. Yep. And he's all like, hey, I'm a good guy, actually, really, for real. Uh, why don't you do that big parade and I'm going to give people $2 million for my stupid float. LMAO. I'm the Joker, baby. Yeah. He says that. Of course, everybody uh, got this poor and is exploitable. So yeah. they're, they're just like, I want $2 million shit. Mm-hmm. So they all go out for the parade. Out there's Joker shit. He's planning on gassing the whole fucking city. Yep. He has this weird, comical, very Tim Burton-esque, weird clown balloon that looks like a Nightmare Before Christmas character more yeah. than anything that should be in this movie. Right. Uh, that <coughs> starts emitting gas everywhere. Uh, he does rain down money on everybody, though. Yep. While listening to a Prince song. Yep. Of course. Of course. Uh, but then he starts poisoning everyone. Now, we don't know how many people die in this sequence, but we have to assume it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Is Batman good at being Batman in this movie? Because I don't think he prevents a lot of the deaths. He's not great at being Batman yet. <laughs> and I think that's part of it. Because it's early? Right. I get that. He's never had to encounter anyone like the Joker before. Right. But, man, he doesn't really save a lot of people in this movie. <laughs> at all. No. Not really. He shows up with the fucking... Good old, good old Batplane. I like the bat plane a lot. Yeah, me too. It's just literally his symbol if it was a plane. Yeah. Yep. It's ridiculous. Because you get that shot of it on the moon, which is kind of neat, but kind of stupid. Yeah. But I liked it anyway. Right. And he swoops in and gets rid of that gas. Yeah. Well, did it, Batman. Not after, not until it kills a bunch of people, though. Yep. No. And so after that, Vicky's finally taken hostage by the Joker. I don't know why it took him this fucking long. Yeah. And then he's just, you know, taking her up this church cathedral. Batman's following him. And up and up and up and up. They go up these stairs for quite some time. Yeah, it takes a while. Uh, I want to point something out. Uh, Batman just walks up these stairs after them. Because he can't run. Why? In this suit. Let me tell you what he could do. Use the grapple gun. Mm Mm-hmm. 
get up there faster. Mm-hmm. Still has grapple gun. Mm-hmm. Not like he doesn't have the grapple gun. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't use it. Mm-mm. He sucks. I don't know. Oh, well, Batman did crash, so, like, I was under the assumption that, like, maybe he was all fucked up. Maybe. But I don't know. Because Joker shot him with a gun. A really, really, really large gun. That yeah. was just in his pants. A comically large gun. I love that comically large gun. Yeah, it's good. It's so stupid. Barrel's way too long. I also feel like we should uh, mention, before we get past it too much, uh, that just Joker's mad and he just kills Bob. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene. I like that the Joker just casually kills his henchmen for some reason. Mm-hmm. Seems like there shouldn't be a lot of people that willingly work for Joker. Do anyway, because apparently it pays really well. Is like his well, thing. Well, he doesn't care about money. Right. Only one thing he cares about. Batman. Yep. <laughs> not in this movie, really. No, I think really. he kind of actively wants to kill Batman. Mm-hmm. The Joker in this movie kind of just wants attention. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, he wants everybody to pay attention to him. And if they pay attention to Batman, he's like, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> I want the attention. I'm going to kill him. And that's his whole role in this. Oh, yeah. Before the Batwing thing happens, we forgot to say that that's just... There's a little scene where he's driving to Batmobile and kills a shit ton of people in, like, a factory. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of people that Batman he just, killed. He just threw a grenade and it blew the whole thing up. Yeah. The there fuck? were people in that factory. They're a all of, dead. A lot of people in that this factory. This speaks to the fundamental misunderstanding of one Tim Burton of one Batman. Yeah. Uh, did does he kill people in the, the comics that he read? I don't know, maybe. I recognize that Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke are darker. And, but, you know, it's a little, uh, little bit of a stretch to me, genuinely speaking. I agree. I wish he didn't kill people. I agree. I found it really funny and schlocky that he does do it. Yeah, it was funny. I laughed that, about that it. That one is probably the most blatant, but as we... as. Joker has kung fu henchmen for some reason that uh, appear at a couple points in the movie. Yep. And this guy attacks Batman and he fucking fights him for a while and then he just flips him over the fucking uh, bell tower thing and that guy falls to his death. Yep. He's dead. Yep. Batman's a violent murderer in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of that, he gets up to the top of the tower mm-hmm. and he's just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you, Joker. Yeah. He's like, straight up, I'm going to kill you. And he... <laughs> He kills him. Well, you know, sort of. Uh, no, he kills him. No, he, he kills, kills him. him. Because he makes it so that, like, like is the Joker and uh, Vicky and mm-hmm. Batman are all kind of, like, hanging out on a ledge. Right. And Joker's trying to stomp out the bricks that they're hanging on. And uh, Batman manages to sling a batarang around his foot mm-hmm. and a gargoyle mm-hmm. while Joker's trying to get away on a chopper. Hanging on a ladder. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't work. Because Joker is pulled by the weight off of the helicopter and down to his demise. Yeah. He dies from falling a great distance. Yeah, a very great distance. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny because they can't show like somebody splattered against the pavement. So like- he's just like there... In a crater. Yeah, which doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> Joker should be in a million pieces. <laughs> he actually should be a puddle. Uh, I'd buy that, That's too. That's how that works. Well, that is a million pieces if you think about it. Right. 
million drops of blood mm-hmm. and goots. You basically explode when you fall from that high. Yeah. But he doesn't. He just lands on his bag that goes ha 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 ha. Yep. Which is a good moment. Though. It is. But, like, it is kind of stupid that uh, this dark, realistic take on Batman just has the Joker fall from a Looney Tune height and then just, like, kind of just, like, make a wily e. Coyote crater in the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay. Yep. And Batman is not he one He does die, bit, at least. Yep. Batman is not one bit remorseful about this death. Nah, he's just like, fuck it. Well, because he gets we revealed. need to bring up the reveal that yeah. the Joker killed his parents, which changes everything. Yeah. Like, I don't like I Batman don't lore that has Joker killed. Joker doesn't need extra significance to exist. No, I think Joker should just be symbolic of everything that he hates. Right. Everything that's wrong with the world, according to Batman. I don't think he needs to literally kill his parents. That's boring. Yeah. Uh, man, you thought Sandman killing Uncle Ben was bad? What about this shit? Yeah. This shit's stupid. <laughs> it's terrible. And he, like, tells because he says, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? And he's like, oh, wait a minute. That's what he said to me when I... Oh, this is Jokey. Uh-oh. Yep. Uh-oh, Jokey. And, uh, Uh-oh. That's woofy. Yeah, he, he saves the girl, and then she's mm-hmm. like, yay, my boyfriend is Batman! Yep. And then that's about it. That's it. And then, like, you know... I think that's literally it. Mm-hmm. Prince song at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's Batman 89. Yeah. This movie, when it was coming out, the marketing for this film was a phenomenon. I have a quote from one Kevin Smith. <coughs> he describes it as, That summer was huge. You couldn't turn around without seeing the bat signal somewhere. People were cutting it into their fucking heads. It was just the summer of Batman, and if you were a comic book fan, it was pretty hot. Uh, The hype for this film was at such a fever pitch, and everybody was fucking on board as fuck for this movie. Despite shitting on it initially, fucking fickle-ass comic book fans, uh, the pure (laughs) level of the hype annoyed the fuck out of Tim Burton. I'm sure it did. Probably, I mean, I don't know what doesn't, though. But I could see how, like, having such a negative experience making this movie, probably with, like, a lot of studio oversight, probably with a lot of uh, checks on your creative vision. Yeah. Uh, probably a tough shoot in general. Could have uh, soured his whole experience. But he did come back for the sequel. Maybe he had a better time on that one. I guess we'll see soon. So the film had a $30 million budget, Mm -hmm. but uh, the troubled production and the cost of the film soon ballooned to 40, and even some reports say 48 million. Holy shit. But it literally didn't matter, because guess what? The movie made $411.5 million. Yep. And at the time was the fifth highest grossing film of all time. Obviously, it's not even in the top 10 or top 20 or maybe even top 30 today. Yeah. Because this is uh, part of the long line of increasing, ever-increasing amount of people going to see big movies. Right. 
Uh, Until the Dark Knight came out in 2008, it was the highest grossing Batman film and the highest grossing DC film. Uh, The film was a mostly critical success. Nothing incredible, but 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is fair. I think it's fair of this movie. Uh, In revisiting it, I think it it isn't as good as I remember, but it isn't bad by any means. I just think that if Jack Nicholson wasn't in this movie, we might might not be talking about Batman the same way we are now. In a weird way. Um, Now, obviously, Keaton's good, and they made many, many sequels to this movie. uh, First of which is Batman Returns. But the Jack Nicholson Joker is the reason why anyone talks about this movie. For sure. Yep. The look of the movie as well. You know, the way Batman looks, the way Gotham looks, it's all important. It's iconic for, like, Batman media. It's an iconic look. Yeah. Yes. But the thing people remember is the Jack Nicholson Joker for sure. Yeah. And for good reason. But I think, and I don't know if this is something you'll disagree with or not. If we're comparing this movie and the movie we watched last week, I enjoyed that one more, I gotta say. Me too. Uh, I like me some schlocky, stupid 60s Batman. Uh-huh. Now, I do like serious takes on Batman. If I had to guess, The Dark Knight will be the movie that'll finally usurp that movie. Yeah. Well, actually, Mask of the Phantasm even in a couple weeks might. Yeah. But I, I don't think I can safely say that this movie is better than that movie. It's not. Um, There's some which, major... Which is weird to say, because I was... I was really thinking that this it was just a given that this one was going to be better than that one. It's not. It, it, it aged more poorly. I think it did, yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's the longest short of it. It aged more poorly. Um, oddly enough, mm-hmm. you can think 60s Batman would age terribly, but honestly, it's pure intentions to be camp on purpose kind of give it a lot of leeway in yeah. being timeless. Right. Uh, and this... <laughs> With its kind of weird take on what Batman is and how Batman functions and its weird take on the mythos that doesn't really line up with a lot of other takes on it, mm-hmm. uh, kind of sour the experience for me a little bit. Yep. I don't think it's in a major way. I think this will still be high in the 17 no, films. I think it's a really good movie still. But yeah, I, I don't think I can safely say it's better than Batman 66, which is crazy to me. It's crazy to me that I'm even saying this right now. Yeah. Because uh, I've always thought this movie was great. <coughs> and, and it is. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh-huh. What, do you, what would you give this out of 10 if you had to, if you had to like just throw a number at the wall? Like a 7. Yeah, 7. I'd say like a strong 7 mm-hmm. to a light 8. Yeah. If we're going Anthony Fantano rules, I guess. Yeah, sure. Sounds good to me. It's a good it's a good scale. I wish more people did it, honestly. Uh, and I mean, that's probably about what I'd give Batman 66, too, to be honest. But I just like that one slightly more. Because it's funny the whole time. It's more entertaining. And such a romp. Yeah. It's just much more entertaining of a movie. So. Yeah, that's, that's Batman. It was still fun. Uh, yeah. Next week, we might not have fun. Uh, unlike Batman 89 and Batman 66, movies that I've seen several times, I have not seen Batman Returns since I was a kid. I've and I, I don't know if I should be looking forward to it or not. I've I don't, seen it I a couple know. times, and the biggest thing I remember from it is 
Not liking it anywhere near as much as I like 89. Well. So, we'll see. I'm going to assume it's number three once we hit next week. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, you know, as always, I could be surprised on a rewatch. I was this time. We'll see. I'm looking forward to Christopher Walken. I'll tell you that much. He's great. He's a he's a he's a meme human, and so is Danny DeVito in that movie. Oh my god, that's gonna be fun. Uh, I can't wait to fucking vomit while eating food while watching that movie because Danny DeVito plays a disgusting man. It's yeah, that's kind of what he does. <laughs> I guess so, but like Penguin's like a monster. Mm-hmm. It's not just like Frank Reynolds eating sausage out of his pocket. This this is this is something different. <laughs> like greasing up naked inside a couch. Okay, that is pretty gross. Yeah. But it's funny more than gross. It's hilarious. Bless Danny DeVito, honestly. No, he's great. I'm not trying to call him a monster. That seems rude. I love Danny DeVito. I mean, I'm sure they gave it their best. It's just, it's a weird take on Penguin is all. Yeah. It's a really weird take on Penguin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as weird of a take as, as, as you can get. Tim Burton had some weird ideas. Not all of them good. Nope. But... This movie good, Batman eighty nine. Yeah, good movie. Good, of course. Bye. Happy New Year. We'll see you in in more of the year when we watch more Batman movies for like the whole year. We'll see you in twenty twenty part two. Twenty twenty two? That's two years from now, you idiot. Just we can't count.